How about that snow in northwest Indiana? Wow. Nearly three feet in Michigan City and LaPorte County. Yes, indeed. I was just wondering how they're doing on the cleanup. I haven't heard a lot. Uh, you know, because as you know, after every uh, show, we finish the show, I go right and start, you know, go to buy cigarettes and fireworks. <laughs> well, you won't have a problem doing that if you're just going over every the state Sunday. Line. Every Sunday I do that. You, you won't have a problem going over to Sometimes I go that. to White Castles. Oh, you can do that too. Over the border yeah. there. Yeah, but you won't have a problem. Sliders, cigs. At fireworks. <laughs> the snow is the snow is much further east than your favorite stops there in northwest Indiana. So you won't have a problem after the show going. Well, Michigan there. City's pretty close. Well, well, yes, about an hour though from here. You know that that's in Laporte County, and that's where they really got hit. I just got a text from my friend Mike in uh, Crown Point, Indiana. Is that our northwest Indiana North, bureau? A northwest Indiana bureau. Yep. Yes, yep. the bureau chief there said about four inches in Crown. Point point but boy you don't have to go much further east and that's when they really got hit there they usually clean things up pretty fast there the, well they're, hit? they're having a big problem uh cleaning this up uh, with uh, nearly three feet of snow there slowly but surely they're making it happen i know in south bend i've heard stories about you know designated areas where they take the snow to uh, to dump it uh, they to get it out of the way, big parking lots or uh, oh, you know oh, lots, oh, 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 oh. you know places like that. Yeah. So we used uh, to do that on the lakefront here. Mm-hmm. Remember when we'd have really super bad snows? They'd toss it in the parking lots along the lakeshore. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I can't buy cigarettes or fireworks uh, along the lakefront here. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. It's my big Sunday activity. People like to know what we do in our spare time. <laughs> I head right to the border. <laughs> I used to go to the Holiday Star, and then the sliders, and then the cigarettes, well, and then the fireworks. Yeah, the Indiana Toll Road has had uh, big problems there. It was closed for a while uh, to uh, big truck traffic and semis because of the high winds that they get there yeah. along the open road. Not a good, uh, not a good place to be when you get weather like that. Yeah. Um. Maybe some of our uh, Hoosier listeners will check in this morning. I would be glad to hear from them. And let us know. Your people. Be glad to hear <laughs> from them. people. Schwanny's I think I just got a text from our bureau chief. I need to. I have a newsroom to run. I'll be right back. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> how, long, how hard is it to look at a text? <laughs> Apparently very. <laughs> what does it say? I, I Read your personal text. I can't. Welcome to our new feature. Shawnee reads his personal <laughs> texts on the air. I'll have to go get the phone here. Andy, can you make small talk with Dean here for a second? <laughs> what? What, what are you saying? I'm short. What is going on there? I, I, I don't know what's going on. He's actually left his post right now. Where'd he go? To get his phone. Oh, he's coming, oh, here he's he, coming back. Here he's he coming back. Here he comes. He is engrossed. <laughs> All right. Now we go back to Dave Schwan on our Northwest Indiana Bureau. <laughs> he said. What is it? Bring he, home a, or bring home a, a loaf fan. of bread. He's a big fan. That's what he said there. That's our bureau chief there. And oh, uh, we need. And then also. Uh, we need. Pretend like you're Pam Zekman out there looking for a story. <laughs> dig. John dig. Drummond. Here's on. another. No, here's another text. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. That was that was the other text I received just now. Well, I can see why these friends are uh, close to you. <laughs> the uh, lead singer of this group, the Shangri-Las, Mary Weiss, passed away on Friday. 
you know her name was Mary Weiss? Oh, king of trivia? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I saw this uh, just a little bit of, a little while ago about uh, her passing here. Uh, somewhere in a box, I have the original 45 of this. Of course you do. <laughs> It was given to me by a friend. This song is a classic. I love it. Look out, look out, look out, look out. Right before the getting a little ahead of yourself. Before the leader of the pack buys it. There it is. There it is. (laughs) Uh, Mary Weiss, uh, 75 years old. Uh, The Shangri-Las had a couple, two, three hits. Remember their song, Remember. Walking in the sand. Yes, yes. That was a good one. That's a great song. Yes. There was another one. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> it was many years ago. It was. That was like man, sixty years ago. Many, that was a, many brain that, cells ago. That was a song of, that was a hit around what nineteen sixty three or something like that. Sixty four. Sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Condolences. And condolences to the Green Bay Packers. Wah, wah, wah. Broke up. <laughs> broke my heart. Although it was a pretty exciting game. It was a good game. Uh, you know, they're, they're rookie. Wait a minute. First of all, aren't you impressed that I even watched I'm, the game? I'm ecstatically impressed. I was someplace where the game was on. Oh, okay. I couldn't so you, help. You were a forced, uh, forced witness. It, I'm glad, though. I'm glad that I did because it was actually a really good game. Yeah, the Packers rookie kicker missed a field goal and really kind of opened the door for the, uh, for the 49ers late. And Christian McCaffrey... Score what turned out to be the game-winning score. Uh, I, I there was a lot of coaching mishaps and mistakes, in my opinion, uh, by both head coaches late in that game. Uh, clock management is something that everybody uh, in the sports industry talks about with uh, with coaches toward the end of games with uh, timeouts left on the table. And right. uh, Matt Lafleur didn't take his timeouts like you're supposed to on defense to try to ensure that you have a little more time to you know to try to rally for a, at least a game-tying field goal, and he didn't do it. So uh, the 49ers now will take on the Ravens next week, is that right? No, the 49ers will take on the winner of the Lions and the Buccaneers uh, today. Uh, 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 okay. And then the uh, you alluded to the Ravens. They beat the Texans yesterday in the AFC, right. so they'll take on the winner of Kansas City and Buffalo. Taylor Swift or Buffalo. Yeah. The Taylor Swift Bowl. <laughs> you know she's going to be at the game, right? Well, she's going to be at the game. And I was reading somewhere. i got to try to see if I can find this real quick here. But the, the Bills are trying to take advantage, of course. And they're having with the food, food items. Yeah, I heard, I did with Taylor Swift. I did read that they're, 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 they're got Taylor Swift yeah. themed food that they're serving. They have bad blood waffle fries, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. And the Karma Quesadilla, which uh, are apparently named after her songs. The bad blood waffle f- fries. Yeah, uh, two foot display of spiced waffle fries, uh, with, topped with buffalo chicken, blue cheese. Uh, and uh, Kansas City Cattleman's barbecued pork, coleslaw, bre- bre- bread, and butter pickles. Mm. That sounds good. That's a big meal right there. Uh, the Karma Quesadilla, chicken tenders, bacon, cilantro ranch, and a triple stacked quesadilla. Oh, wow. <laughs> Topped with pork belly. Hello. <laughs> And uh, you you get uh, the sandwich and a free visit with a cardiologist. Exactly. After that, yeah, you know, everybody's got to take advantage of the hot the hot thing there, you know. And 
Buffalo's trying to do it. Yeah, Taylor's, uh, she's the draw, so I know what the heck. Uh, coming up on the show today, we've got, uh, talking about food, we've got one of the uh, greatest chefs in America, uh, James Beard Award winner Rick Bayless is going nice. to be joining us later on uh, from uh, the Frontera Grill in Topolobampo. We've got uh, Killian Murphy and Christopher Nolan, both uh, Golden Globe winners, and uh, their movie Oppenheimer is uh, you know the movie to beat for the uh, for the Oscars. Now, can you believe that the Super Bowl is just like two weeks away, two three weeks? Yeah, February eleventh. It's right around the corner. Mm-hmm. The Grammys are uh, February fourth. The Super Bowl is the eleventh, and then the Oscars are a month after that. Busy time. Yeah, we're just blasting through this winter time. It's the way to do it. Did somebody who said this morning that they're sick of the winter? I think that might have been anybody. We've all we've only had like two weeks of cold weather. That's enough. Come on, we've we've gotten it so easy this winter. (laughs) Overall, overall, I think yeah. I mean, especially early on, it was forty fifty degrees exactly. Uh, it hasn't been that bad. It's going to warm up. Is what's what's it going to be? Not that I wasn't hanging on your every word during the weather forecast, but uh, it's going to be very mild coming up this Milder, week. Milder, right? yes, uh, thirty-three for tomorrow. But we've got a problem with some freezing rain, and uh, that could be during the morning hours tomorrow. So it could be a that could complicate the rush hour. Uh, temperatures uh, moving upward though, um, above freezing and around forty. Uh, later in the week. Yep. Uh, you know, I want to acknowledge our people who work outside. Mm-hmm. We don't acknowledge them enough. Uh, and, uh, you know, we last week we talked about firemen, policemen, EMTs, you know, people like that who are working out in the elements. Uh, and, uh, you know, are, are we acknowledging the, the people who deliver our mail and they're out in the cold weather? Are we delivering, uh, acknowledging... The people who, uh, you know, are keeping the streets clean. I mean, e- even though they're in, you know, giant plows, it's still cold. Uh, we need to acknowledge them, the ones. How about they the, are out super early. How about the ones that are? One, two in the morning. You see a lot of people working on sewers. They, yes. You know, they seem to be on the ground. You know, the Ed Nortons of the world. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ralphie boy. It's not easy being down in the sewer in this weather. <laughs> Say hi to Trixie. <laughs> uh, who else? Who else are outdoor workers? Firefighters. Yeah, mention that. We've had, uh, we're following a story on the fire of uh, the uh, hot dogs, Chicago famous hot dogs uh, in Antioch here. Uh, they were out fighting that fire. I've seen uh, ambulance workers out this week. Yeah, the EMTs. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Police officers standing outside. School crossing guards. School crossing guards are out. Yeah, yeah. Just like any uh, const- you know the contractor, people doing uh, you know construction work on the outside. It's not the greatest time of year to get exterior work done on your house, but you know sometimes you have to do it. And uh, you know these poor men and women that are out there in this cold weather. We have it cushy. Oh yeah, we have it easy. Working inside. Correct. Would Here's, you like to do the show from a, a an expressway viaduct at some point? Oh, I actually I would actually. 
I can't think of anything that I would rather do, <laughs> now that you mention it. You're always talking about reporters standing there on the roadways. When they don't have they, to be. And they're there. So that's the we main... could do the show from there now. Yeah, Put that on the list. Well, we would be doing a show from there. They're standing there for no reason at all. <laughs> that's the part that gets me. If it adds to the story and if it embellishes the story in some way, go for it. But if you're just standing standing there for no reason pretty soon there will be traffic on the road behind me yeah i always feel bad for reporters who have to just stand outside when they could easily do the report from inside someplace you know what i mean they're doing a story about how snowy it is so they have to be outside in the snow otherwise you won't understand the story somehow it's a good visual when you you like a time check now? It's 22 minutes after 9, 9:22 a.m. Sunday a.m. Sunday morning. Wow. I don't think you've ever referred to anything from a previous show before. I know you've <laughs> oh, gone I back. Haven't? I know you've gone back two or three hours, but I don't think you've ever gone back for an obscure note. I was thinking about how to work that in all week. <laughs> You've been planning that all week? I've been planning it all the week. The double time check? Yes. Mm. That's going. To, <laughs> that's another new feature on the show. On the text line, shout out to anyone who has to walk a great distance to work. Oh, yeah. Or, mm-hmm. wait, or wait for buses to wait get to Wait to work. buses? Yep. Absolutely. That's not easy to do. No. no. We need to. Especially know. last Monday and Tuesday. Yes. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, tow truck drivers are oh, my yeah. hero in this weather. Uh, Especially when you when you need one when and they're you're helping the one, you out. Yeah, you're the one calling the tow truck yeah. driver. Exactly. Uh, door dashers. I'll oh go, yeah, food delivery. along with that, food delivery people. Yep. Uh, dairy workers. Yeah, I guess I guess that's cold, right? Dairy workers. Well, de- meaning if you're getting out there to uh, you know deliver the product from one place to another, sure. Oh, like a like a milkman, right? Well, that's right. What used to call yeah, it. milkman. Yes. See, when I saw dairy workers, I thought like the guy who's milking the cow. That too. Uh, Getting up before dawn to milk the cow in this weather? I don't know how chilly those udders are. (laughs) (laughs) I would think they wouldn't be, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Tronny, will you check on that this week? (laughs) Yes, okay, I will. Will you get get up? 924, 24 minutes after 9 o'clock. Get out to a farm and see how cold the udders are, will you please? Far-flung forecast is next. It is time for the far-flung forecast. Our weekly uh, check into fascinating facts and figures all presented to us. Presented to us by the man with the warmest hands... (laughs) Here at WGN Radio. I'm not speaking from experience. Here now. I'm glad you clarified that. Hot fingers, Schwan. <laughs> Thank you, Dean. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is uh, staying warm and being well this morning. Get out your compasses and protractors and newfangled devices because today we head east to West Seneca, New York. Hmm. West Seneca, New York, is in the far western portion of New York State, a population of about 45,000. In 1851, the town was formed from various other towns, and a number of them, uh, one of them named uh, Chictawaga. Excuse me? Chictawaga. Chief? 
cheek to waga and hamburg like pinch your cheek exactly yes okay. but they changed the name to west seneca to avoid confusion with the town of seneca which was in another county ontario county new york but we mention west seneca because we saw northwest indiana getting upwards of three feet of snow uh-oh, well west uh-oh. seneca uh-oh, they got us. hit with over six feet Get of snow no way. the Get other day six feet 65 inches or something like that Yes, and that is because they are right on that uh, lake effect area there on Lake Erie where, you know, the fetch moves across the lake just like it does on Lake Michigan right. here where the wind comes racing down the water right. and over and builds moisture. lives on from the Chippewa. <laughs> well, that was Lake Superior. <laughs> that's the big lake they That's call the big lake. When right. somebody writes a song about uh, Lake Erie, you let us know and we'll... <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Lake Erie uh, is uh, just really adjacent to West Seneca and Buffalo, New York, which will give you a little yeah, better get, idea as to where it was. But West Seneca is on the... Uh, How do you even deal with that much snow? Well, that's a good question, We too. had What was our big snow here? 27 25 or 27? And it yeah. paralyzed us. Mm-hmm. Paralyzed us, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about the big snow, 67? Well, there was that, but we've had similar huge snows. That we were... still made it to school that day, young fella. <laughs> I made a bundle of money that day. Shoveling, Did you shoveling? Shoveling yeah. snow, yeah. yeah. Um, but we are completely paralyzed in that much snow. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Northwest Indiana deals with the... What you say it was? Three feet? About something? three feet. Yeah. 33, 34 That's inches. A lot. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, unless you're unless you're a buffalo and, you know, a snow like that is something that's fairly normal. How do you deal with stuff like that? That's what they that's what they have and really can kind of expect it. Uh, there's an area there in New York State called Tug Hill that gets uh, this type of snow also. Hmm. It's just a matter of uh, course in the winters that they have there. Yeah, I guess that's what you get used to. And they're expecting more snow on Tuesday, but right now West Seneca, New York, has sunny skies, 19 degrees, headed to a high of 26. From the big league they call Gitchigumi. <laughs> what? You you were the one that was singing it, not me. Okay. But West Seneca, 19 degrees and sunny skies. 9.36 is the time. And this is Dean Richards, Sunday morning on WGN. Hopefully, getting into our regular health segment here. Uh, the month of January is National Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. We have a, uh, a doctor specializing uh, who is going to join us this morning to talk uh, a little about that, who is uh, not answering uh, their phone right at the moment. So we will uh, continue to try to get through with that. And, uh, you know, we've joked many times, uh, Andy, that, uh, you know, we should just give our own medical advice, even though we're not not qualified. What did you have? You had a name for it? Yeah, it'd be called Dr. Malpractice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) First name Mal. First name Mal, last name Practice. Last name Practice. Uh, Of just giving out medical advice, uh, we could certainly do that uh, if you (laughs) would like. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Now, hopefully, we'll get a hold of our doctor in a couple of minutes here and uh, get back on track with that. What I did want to uh, talk about, though, 
was uh, a story that came over uh, earlier this week. I know, I know some of you think I talk about COVID too much, but uh, I just really feel like it's uh, something, still something that's important. I know some of you, you know, want to think that, uh, you know, the whole thing's not, there, there's nothing to it. And, uh, uh, you know, and why do, why do we uh, continue to uh, talk about it? The reason that we do is because uh, COVID is uh, still on the uptake. Uh, on the upswing, rather. And that's why well, we get into that. This past week alone, here in the city of Chicago, there was a 14% increase in COVID hospitalizations uh, in just one week. So, you know, I don't know how you, I, I don't know how you look at that and go, it's, oh, it's fake. I know for a lot of people, you know, COVID is all political and it's not about science and you know, all that. And there have definitely been some problems with this disease that we didn't even know existed three years ago. But uh, now now they do know uh, a little about it. And when I, you know, at a, at a time when we should be seeing numbers at least leveling off or going down, in this past week, we have this uh, significant increase. Uh, so, you know, all I all I can say is what all the experts are saying. You know, continue to be careful. Uh, you know, wear masks when it makes sense. Take the necessary precautions because I see people uh, just you know not um, taking the precautions at all. So uh, that is uh, you know something to get into. Uh, the stories that came out this week that uh, you know they're could be things which are being manufactured in china that's way above my pay level of uh you know being able to discuss that intelligently uh but that's uh you know something which is also out there and something for which uh, i i think we need to um you know be aware and uh you know know what's know what's going on with all that so uh know that that is going on know know that uh, rsv is still out there the respiratory virus and, uh, you know, these are all things that you should be, uh, you know, being careful about. Uh, th- what we were going to talk about uh, today, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to give you a couple of facts about it, because I honestly, I don't, I, I can't dig too deep into this, uh, you know, without uh, a solid knowledge about it. But uh, this, the reason we were going to talk about cervical cancer is because January has been designated by the National Health Observances Organization as Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, It is something that more than 11,000 people in the U.S. are diagnosed with every year, and uh, that there are vaccinations and regular screenings that can help prevent the disease. Uh, Hopefully, it doesn't look like we're getting our doctor here uh, whatsoever, but uh, you know, maybe maybe we'll uh, be able to get a hold of our doctor and talk about this more uh, in just a couple of minutes. Do we know Doctor Kevin Most's secret uh, retirement phone number? <laughs> <laughs> I know I promised him I wouldn't call anymore. Shortest retirement in history. <laughs> I know he said he was retiring, but maybe we can just pretend like we're not on the air. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let me take a break and see if we can figure all this out. 944 Dean Richards Sunday morning. 
WGN. Well, we've got all of our calls out. Uh, trying to find our doctor who is supposed to be with us, who uh, hopefully everything's okay. I suspect a lazy Sunday morning, and uh, sometimes just people forget. Although I got to say, in three years, Kevin Most, Dr. Kevin Most, never did. Uh, he was faithful, faithful, and uh, with us every every single Sunday morning. Um, and put up with us at tree time twice. And put up with us at uh, tree time. <laughs> they talk about a doctor putting up with uh, unruly patients, but um, you know we're trying we're trying to figure out this new medical segment now that Dr. Kevin Most is retired. Uh, you know, do we have one person here all the time? Uh, I thought you know maybe we rotate different doctors. Uh, depending on you know for you know whatever's in the news that week or you know for just for a little a variety uh, I don't know so so far so far I'm hoping Drew Carey is listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they still have us piped. That's in an over. amazing story. I don't know <laughs> Disney they, World or wherever if he they was. still have us piped in uh, at. Uh, <laughs> from uh, you know Disneyland but uh, that's that that was I don't even remember what year that was but that was the morning when every single guest on the show canceled not just one guest didn't show up methodically every single person uh did not uh, cancel they canceled on the show and uh, you know suddenly we were uh you know thinking we were going to do one show and <laughs> suddenly there was another <laughs> And I said, as a joke, I said, well, if any celebrities are listening on the air, give us a call. And sure enough. And people started calling in, goofing around. And in my ear, uh, the, my producer at the time, Scott, remember Scott? Oh, yeah. Scott Cameron? He's a big deal in public radio now. Really? Who would think that someone could go from this show to uh, doing something uh, responsible, like being in public <laughs> radio? <laughs> um. But uh, he said that Drew Carey is on line five. And I thought it was somebody joking, pretending to do a Drew Carey interview. And it was actually Drew Carey, who I kept on hold for forever because I thought it was somebody just goofing around on the phone line. <laughs> so it uh, turns out we don't need Drew Carey this morning anyway. We don't need a Drew Carey because we have Dr. Emma Barber, uh, gynecologic oncologist, with Lurie Cancer Center, Northwestern Medicine, who uh, is on the phone line with us. Dr. Barber, I'm glad you made it. Thank you for joining us this morning. Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, for joining us. So, uh, you know, what we wanted to talk about and create some awareness about was uh, Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And I mentioned that 11,000 people in the U.S. are diagnosed with cervical cancer uh, every year. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what this is, how prevalent it is, and why it is uh, so important to be aware of this all. Yeah, I mean, I think cervical cancer is, um, you know, relatively prevalent, as you mentioned, in the United States, um, but much more prevalent globally. And the thing about cervical cancer that makes it really different than a lot of other cancers is it really is a disease of younger women. 
Um, so it is a cancer that can be diagnosed, you know, in women without sort of prevention efforts much earlier. Um, and it is a cancer that if it's caught at early stage is very, very treatable, very, very high cure rate. Um, but if we get it too late after it's metastasized, it actually, um, you know, can be really, really difficult to treat and, um, you know, not really treatable. So it's incredibly important to sort of detect uh, cervical cancer or pre-cervical cancer early. Are there uh, symptoms that you might have cervical cancer or is it just something which is found in testing? Yeah, it's, you know, um, if you have full-blown sort of cervical cancer, you can develop symptoms. Um, that could be things like pelvic pain or especially abnormal vaginal bleeding. And that vaginal bleeding can often be after intercourse is kind of the hallmark symptom. Um, but hopefully, you know, we wouldn't be diagnosing cervical cancer with symptoms. We would actually be picking it up on screening tests. Um, so, you know, things like pap smears, when people are coming in for their regular um, exam, really pap smear and HPV testing. And this allows us to catch it even before it's cancer, or if it is cancer, catch it really early. Yeah. Is, uh, did uh, this kind of testing uh, fall off uh, as many other kinds of routine tests did during COVID because people weren't going out, didn't want to go out, didn't want to interact with people in laboratories uh, and, and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, most women undergo cervical cancer screening. So, you know, pap smear and HPV testing during their annual gynecologic exam. And the same way a lot of, you know, preventative health services were kind of stopped over COVID. Um, you know, this was another preventative service that was definitely we saw really decreases in, um, you know, screening frequency and things like that. Um, hopefully now as we come out of the pandemic and, you know, people are getting back into accessing health care that, you know, we hope that those will improve. I was, uh, you know, reading up on, you know, what are the top health issues for women right now? And, um, you know, they, they are things like smoking, uh, diabetes, stroke, heart disease. I mean, things that really uh, affect uh, everybody. Are there, are there, you know, particular health issues that women should be uh, concerned about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in in relationship to, to cervical cancer, we have gotten much better with, um, you know, pap smears, obviously, all of that and being able to prevent it in this country, which is great. But we don't want to, you know, sort of fall off on that. That's why some of these other sort of heart disease, you know, diabetes, those sort of, you know, across gender risk factors sort of come up. Those things are not really associated with cervical cancer. Although smoking is a really strong risk factor for cervical cancer. Really? Um, so an important thing that women could do to mitigate their risk. Really? Smoke, uh, is, uh, smoking uh, leads to a higher incidence of cervical cancer. Yep. Yeah. Pretty dramatic risk factor. And also for other HPV-associated huh. um, uh, cancers, smoking can really increase the risk. Yeah. What about non-cervical cancer uh, related diseases uh, for women. Which, which, what are what are some of the top diseases? I would guess that breast cancer certainly must still be pretty high on the list. Yeah, breast cancer is definitely the top um, the top uh, cancer you know of you know that women get. Um, another really important cancer for women is actually endometrial cancer or cancer of the lining of the uterus. 
this cancer has kind of been flummoxing us over the last sort of five years because we're actually seeing an increase in the incidence and an increase in sort of how deadly it is. Um, So that's definitely a a women's cancer that's kind of on the rise that we're all sort of paying attention to. Uh, One of our listeners on our text line on 847 says, at what age do you stop getting pap smears? That's a great question. Um, The national guidelines recommend stopping at 65 in people that are well screened, though. So um, part of the, you know, new screening paradigm is really that we think 99.5%, almost all cervical cancer is actually caused by the HPV virus. So we're really increasing our testing for the HPV virus um, and the the pap smears that go kind of along with it. Um, For women who are 65 that have had regular pap smears sort of in the 10 years prior, um, they can exit from screening, meaning they don't need to get a pap smear anymore. But let's say that someone hadn't had a pap smear at all, you know, but they just happened to be 65 or they had one pap smear when they were 60, that person should continue to get uh, pap smear. So it's recommended to stop after 65, but only in people who have a history of screening. Well, quite a few uh, texters with similar questions uh, regarding the pap smear. Uh, one is, uh, do postmenopausal women need to get uh, pap smears? I guess that would relate to the ages that you were just talking about, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the average age of menopause in this country is 51. Um, and so for sure, you know, sort of 51 to 65, pretty much everybody should be getting, you know, pap smears. And, and the sort of frequency of those is dependent a little bit upon pap smear history. Um, after 65, some women may be able to sort of exit screening, but it really depends on their clinical history. So, you know, you have to be somebody that doesn't have a history of HPV or, you know, severe precancerous conditions, and you've been getting regular pap smears. So it's something to, to sort of consider um, with your doctor, but a lot of women after 65 may not need them anymore. Uh, Dr. Emma Barber is with us, gynecologic oncologist with the Lurie Cancer Center at Northwestern. What are what are the, the top issues that women are coming to see you about in your office? Yeah, we see, you know, I would say um, one thing that, you know, we haven't talked about vis-a-vis cervical cancer that is, that is really important that's been very um, cool to see is actually we have a lot more people now who've gotten vaccinated against the HPV virus. And we know that this is very Um, you know, strongly protective against cervical cancer. Pretty much all cervical cancer comes from HPV. So if you you are vaccinated against cervical cancer uh, or against HPV, that'll really decrease the risk of cervical cancer. So what I am seeing a lot more of now is women who are younger that have actually been vaccinated. And the HPV vaccine does all of the, you know, nine, depending on which vaccine, but the most common one, nine or 11 different HPV viruses. Um, And so we're starting to see women who actually are are getting the HPV virus, but not one that is covered by the vaccine. Um, And so that's something that we are really following these women very closely, um, you know, to make sure that, you know, cervical cancer doesn't develop. Um, But those those strains of HPV may be less aggressive. So that's kind of an interesting thing that's been happening now is kind of these less aggressive HPV viruses and people have had the vaccine, what do we do um, in terms of just really checking on them pretty frequently? Yeah, so that's would, been something I've been seeing more of. I would imagine that there are you know, strides being made all the time 
Uh, I'm more familiar be- through uh, special programs that we've done on breast cancer of the uh, mammoth uh, improvements in the treatment of breast cancer uh, over the over the years. I would imagine that in your field also you must be seeing advances all the time as well to help women. Correct. Yeah, I think, and I think the main areas of advances in cervix cancer have been sort of on the prevention side with, you know, HPV vaccination and then better screening tests, um, you know, for who's really at risk for cervical cancer and cervical precancer. On the totally opposite end of the spectrum, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning about women that already have, you know, metastatic disease, cervical cancer that spread. And, you know, maybe five to 10 years ago, we really did not have a lot of options. We had, you know, sort of chemotherapy and the the rates of it working were really low. And we've been really excited in cervix cancer as well as other cancers, sort of the emergence of immunotherapy or other targeted therapies um, that we're seeing, you know, really a lot of benefit uh, for patients. Uh, Here is uh, the 773 area code. Is there a benefit for a 65-year-old woman to get an HPV vaccine? That's a great question. Right now, um, insurance is sort of covering or they think the benefit is up to people who are 45. However, there's a specific population, which is women that have a history of severe precancer. And we actually do recommend the HPV vaccine um, for all of those women because it decreases the risk of um, severe precancer recurrence by up to 50%. Um, but in somebody that has no history of, you know, severe precancerous changes or anything, um, wouldn't be recommended. But up to 45 would be. And the 847 area code said, if uh, my, my mother had cervical cancer, am I predisposed to having it as well? We don't think so. Um, and this is something we're always learning more and more about. Um, but we don't think so at least right now. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I guess that's good news for uh, the woman who is texting in and uh, asking, I guess, is it hereditary, basically, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we don't, we don't think so at this point. It's really, um, you know, sort of about that HPV virus and, and kind of staying on top of that virus. Most people's bodies, um, immune systems will get rid of HPV. Pretty much almost everyone in this country has had HPV at some point. Um, and so the question is kind of each individual's body's immune system and how it interacts with that virus. Um, and if basically um, the, the virus stays around for too long, it can cause those precancerous changes. So we think that's the key sort of risk factor. Well, I'm glad we were able to uh, talk about this a little bit this morning and create some awareness. Uh, obviously, if you still have uh, questions uh, the best thing to do is uh, get a hold of your own doctor or your uh, OB-GYN uh, to get information on it. I'm glad that you could join us, uh, Dr. Barber, Dr. Emma Barber, Gynecologic Oncologist, Lurie Cancer Center, Northwestern Medicine. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and uh, putting out some great information this morning. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, doctor. You too. It's uh, 959 uh, coming up in a little while, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, Chef Rick Bayless on our food show, Chicago Restaurant Week. Director Christopher Nolan uh, coming up in a little while, and Killian Murphy, the star of the movie Oppenheimer. 
And uh, Shwani, I just want to thank all of our listeners. You know, we had a little delay in getting our guest on. Right. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners who texted in and uh, to say, I'm not a doctor, but I'm, but. <laughs> I'm willing to fake it. Uh, if you, we have a, a lot of people who want to pretend to be doctors, uh, as, as we did with our Dr. Malpractice, Malpractice. Uh, segment that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we'll uh, do one of these days. Well. So, May I offer another uh, recommendation? Oh, yes. Calling Dr. Howard. Dr. Fine. Dr. Howard. I should have thought of that immediately. So guess what today is? It is January 21st. Yes. 2024. Yes. 10.07, seven seven minutes after 10 (laughs) o'clock. What have we started? <laughs> you, started what? you started have it. You started it. You have started it. I opened another Schwanny <laughs> Pandora's box. <laughs> Just when you think there's nothing left oh, in there. Oh, I'm going to text you at 2 in the morning <laughs> to give you a time check. Sadly, I will be the only person that you know who is already awake at that hour. That is true. Uh, today, Schwanny, is National Hug Day. Oh. National Hug Day. So, you know, give... What does this... What are you implying here? Well, (laughs) I think we should hug. (laughs) Don't you think? Uh, Sure. It's, uh, yeah, probably not a good idea. (laughs) So? I'm just, just saying. You kill me for trying to put a little no. love out into the world. <laughs> really? Come on, Shwani. I know. Come I on. Know. No, that's a great thing. Have you and Andy hugged today? No, we have not. We have not. Have you ever? No, we have not. Really? Uh, I think we did at, uh, well, no, maybe not. I don't remember. That might have been the other guy. That could have been the other guy. The other Shwani. Could have been the other guy you know with an I voted sticker. And a member's only jacket. sweater. <laughs> I think we need more hugging in this world. I'm a big fan of the hug. Yeah. Although it can be awkward at times. Oh, sure. Like if Hamp and OB just walked in here right now, <laughs> I'd feel a little awkward uh, giving Hamp a big and hug. hug. Yeah. Although I'll bet he's like a big teddy bear. He is, is a big he? teddy bear, yeah. No. <laughs> OB, I know. I, uh, OB, I may have actually hugged OB. Well, he's you know, a very, very kind person. He's very huggable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good, good. Definitely. Guy. Yeah. Very huggable. Come here. Give me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> give me a hug. <laughs> oh, man. Are you sure you don't guys don't want to hug? Are you positive about that? That is just one of the greatest scenes of all time. And uh, to think that that scene, it's 71 years ago. 71 years ago. Yesterday was the actual anniversary of uh, the birth and when that episode ran. Uh, And still was one of the most uh, viewed episodes in television history. Everybody was waiting with bated breath to see, uh, you know, when she was going to give birth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another funny episode with, uh, you know, waiting for the time to come is the Dick Van Dyke show where um, Laura is and it could be any time. And, and Rob goes to bed with all practicing his clothes on. putting on his hat in the bed. In bed. 
Those are fantastic episodes. <laughs> rehearsing that. That's Those are hysterical. Episodes. Oh. Are there classic episodes of television being made, say, in the last 10, 20 years, you know, current episodes for all of the Emmy Awards that were given out this week? Are any of the shows, they're great shows, they're very interesting, they're very uh, compelling, but are there memorable episodes like that being made now of anything? And I hate to be one of those... Well, there's been nothing good on TV since my day, back in the old days. I mean, maybe maybe there are, and I'm just not thinking about it. Or you are. Yeah, I can't think of it. Andy, what are you thinking yeah. about in there? Either. I mean, it's it's changed so much because you know the the, the TV sitcom had so many seasons and it ran. You know, it was, it was on every week, and you kind of planned your day around it. Well, you got invested, and in you got invested also, in the characters. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I just you know I, I don't know why, but Friends always comes to my mind when, when, when you think about that. That's the one that comes stuff, to my you know? mind. Yeah. And Seinfeld. And, is there a mm-hmm. friend, is there a Friends episode though that there's a bunch of them that are hilarious. They're h- hilarious, but like a. Well, maybe not iconic like Landmark? that. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I guess it, it may have to do with the subject matter too, because you know, 1953 that wasn't probably very common on television. Talking about pregnancy and things it of that nature, be, that had to be a first. Yeah, back then, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, they were. <laughs> I mean, they were sleeping in separate beds for yeah. <laughs> exactly into the 60s and 70s. They yeah. were, yeah. Dick Van Dyke show, yeah. Same thing with the twin beds. But uh, even Seinfeld, as much as I love Friends, I love Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. I love those shows. I think they're really, really funny episodes. Cheers is another one. Of, of all of those shows. But is there like an episode that is like the episode of all, you know? Well, one just came to mind. Yeah. WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, the, the turkeys. turkey one? Yeah. yeah. The turkeys. That's yeah. a good That's That's, a good, that's yeah. one that just came to mind. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Because I think Seinfeld... Certainly not the finale episode. The finale, no, that was pretty anything, awful. Was a huge disappointment. That was pretty awful. I was at a party for that, and everybody just kind of went, "Huh?" Yeah. At the end, you know, like we invested all this time for yeah, that, right? <laughs> everybody and waiting to see how this was going to end. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Same thing. You were at a party. Yes. Someone invited you to a party. Yes. He crashed. He did, he did, it was going on down the hall from us. He didn't actually know the people from there. Bring the whole family to the United Center to watch the next generation of Blackhawks live. With a Blackhawks family pack, each game ticket includes one hot dog, one drink, and one buttery popcorn. Starting at just $49 per seat. Create memories with the whole family and check out the excitement of hockey up close. Visit Blackhawks.com slash family pack to secure your seats today. That's Blackhawks.com slash family pack. Hey, it's Lisa Dent for Universal Windows Direct. The cold snap is coming, and there's no need to suffer through one more winter in a cold and drafty home. Call my guys at Universal Windows Direct. They have this incredible technology. It was actually developed by NASA. It's called Super Spacer. It helps keep the edge of the glass warmer. It holds the window seal longer and makes the windows last up to five times longer than other windows. You're going to get the best windows for your home within your budget, and they perform better and last longer. 
longer. Plus, Universal backs it all up with a true lifetime warranty. So you know what you need to do? Schedule your free in-home estimate today. And just know that for every two windows you buy, you'll get two free. Plus, a free upgrade to triple pane glass. And they'll double your energy tax credit. So tell them Lisa Dent told you to reach out and they'll give you an additional $250 off your project. These will be the last windows you'll ever need. Go to UniversalWindowsDirect.com. Menards has it all for keeping your pets happy and healthy. We offer everything from food and treats to our huge selection of toys, bowls, leashes, collars, and more. Perina Pro Plan Chicken and Rice Dog Food provides your pets with outstanding nutrition, plus exceptional taste. It's made with high-quality protein, including real chicken, as the first ingredient. Pick up a 35-pound bag of Perina Pro Plan Dog Food for only $69.48. Price is good through January 28th. Save big money at Menards. They have everything you need to know and some things to just make you smile. It's just one of the best news stories ever. WGN-TV Morning News, weekdays from 4 to 6. Dean Richards, Sunday morning. Chicago's WGN Radio 720. 10.23, this is Dean Richards, Sunday morning on WGN. We are talking some TV with the anniversary of the I Love Lucy uh, baby episode where Lucy goes into labor and uh, has little Ricky on the show. In real life, she was giving birth to Desi Arnaz Jr., who I guess, uh, you know, what, he turns uh, 71, uh, right? Because uh, he, he is the, uh, his birth coincided with uh, that episode being on TV and that episode, you know, now this is back when, you know, we had just a handful of channels to watch, but uh, still uh, something like 71% of the country or something watched Lucy go into labor uh, worldwide. It, it is, uh, remains one of the most watched episodes of all time. Um, so we're just talking about, you know, are, do memorable episodes like that still exist today? 312-981-7200 is our phone number, and the 630 area code uh, suggests the final episode of The Sopranos. Huh. That is certainly a memorable episode, that's for sure. I actually thought my uh, system went blank at the end of that. Oh, the because the, the screen sound. just went dark and everything just blacked because out because the music stopped every, everything. Yeah, 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 just everything. I, I did and then too. the credits came on. I thought, what in the world? I won't mention my cable uh, company. Uh, where I was watching it because they ha- they have plenty of problems of their own. They don't need me to pile up. <laughs> <laughs> but and you'd think in all these years they would have some of those problems figured out. But that I thought I thought the same thing with Sopranos that uh, something something had gone wrong. Um, I think that's a, that's a great example of we have a lot more channels to watch now than we did back then. So probably not definitely not as many people watched that episode. But do you think is it as memorable as the Lucy episode? I guess in a way, if you were a big fan of the show. Of the Sopranos, yeah, I guess you know, I guess I think that's yeah, that's a good point. Uh, several people on our text line: the final episode of Bob Newhart, brilliant, 
where he wakes up. That was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. He wakes up. This is the, the, the final episode of his series based at the inn in Vermont, where uh, the show ends with him waking up in bed with Suzanne Plachette from his other sitcom, <laughs> saying, I thought, I just had the weirdest dream. <laughs> I dreamed I owned a, 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 a an inn in Vermont. Inn in Vermont. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a pretty good episode. That was a pretty <laughs> strong one. Uh, final episode of MASH. Oh, sure. Several times. Oh, sure. You talk about big viewership. That yeah. one certainly has. I think that still is one of the most watched episodes mm-hmm. of all time. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know. Uh, what else do we have here? Let me see. Boy, oh, who shot Jr.? Oh yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that one is one that became a nationwide phenomena. Who shot Jr.? That uh, that one definitely falls into that category. Um, Dallas, the uh, show. Yep, from the show. Yeah. From the show Dallas. Yep. Uh, let me see. What else do we have here? Uh, the the Seinfeld. The contest master yep. of your own domain. <laughs> we were talking about that. <laughs> that's a good one. I mean, that's very memorable. How would you have liked to have been in the writer's room? When they were, God. They were How just, they got through that? Hey, I got an idea for an episode. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like me walking in the newsroom and talking to you guys before the show starts. Which you do every Sunday, by the way. Yeah, but I... Pretty sure I've never said no. Let's do a show no, and have a contest. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to be master of the Sunday morning show domain? We were saying the best part of that whole episode was Kramer, Kramering into the room, <laughs> plopping like, down the money. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, we've got. I mean, a lot of people are citing Seinfeld on the text line. But, you know, a lot of different episodes. Yeah. Well, uh, the what u- about the, the f- Ugly Babies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Ugly Babies are hilarious one. Just breathtaking. Uh, the uh, Not That There's Anything Wrong With That uh-huh. episode is hilarious. That one's great, Very too. clever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the final episode of Cheers was good. The finale for uh, Cheers. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. They, they yeah. finally turn out the lights in the bar and they walk out slowly. Yeah, of course, sorry. Mary Tyler Moore, Mary, they, uh, when they leave the uh, newsroom. The, the final episode of Mary Tyler Moore, but uh, 815 area code uh, says Mary Tyler Moore the chuckles the clown funeral. <laughs> <laughs> that is a memorable <laughs> That is a memorable episode. But the one where the whole cast is in the newsroom and somebody says, I need a Kleenex. They're all hugging and they move as a group. Yeah, over to the Kleenex box. Yeah, that that those. I guess there are some memorable ones. Six three zero. Maybe this has to do with age too. Six three zero area code said the Schitt's Creek Christmas Party episode is a modern classic. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Are you? You guys familiar with that? No, no. Oh. no. I like the movie. I like the series uh, Schitt's Creek, but I don't remember that one. Um, yeah. So I guess. I guess there are still. There are still some here. I just scrolled down. Everybody loves Raymond. Um, That's a fun show. Several sightings of sure. That. But as much as I love that show, and I do love that show, I, 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 I can't really say that's the one episode. That's the defining episode from Everybody Loves Raymond. Not the way Chuckles the Clown or Who Shot JR or you know some of the others. So anyway, 
little something to think about. Big hug. Dean Richard, Sunday morning, WGN. And time for our Week in Theater segment. Uh, coming up, I'm going to tell you about Billy Elliot, the musical that's going to be out at the Paramount Theater in Aurora. We're going to be doing one of our Dean's Night Out uh, coming up soon. Tell you how you can get free tickets and join me not only for a performance, but for a fun little meet and greet that we do before the show. But before we get to uh, all of that this morning. You can do magic. You can have anything that you desire. Magic. You are listening to the special program that we did at uh, Treetime Christmas Tree Creations last November. Among uh, our many guests that we had out there that morning was Dennis Watkins, who has been starring in uh, The Magic Parlor. It's part of the Goodman Theater uh, experience here in downtown Chicago. And the show has been uh, going wildfire and uh, just announced has been extended. And we are uh, happy to welcome back to our studio... Uh, this time, actually, uh, in our studio, not at uh, Tree Time Christmas Tree Creations, Dennis Watkins, thank you for coming here this morning. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you with us. I was just telling you during the break that, you know, of all of the things that we did at Tree Time, we married uh, somebody, we, we did an actual uh, live wedding, we had musical performers, we had all kinds of things going on that morning. As uh, one person uh, said to me, your show out there is like watching a Fellini movie. It's like there's so many weird things going on at the same time. But we had so many comments about your performance on that show, your appearance, uh, doing some some live magic in front of people. Oh, great. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, and it was it, it really was cool. Uh, there, there's just something. What do you think it is that's so special that, uh, you know, we, we all become 10 years old again watching guys like you performing uh, magic right well that's the that's the whole point right i think that you know we're, we're grown-ups we have busy lives we've got responsibilities and kids and jobs and all that kind of nonsense and we don't get a lot of time where we can just sit back and childlike wonder right so uh my job is to help you tap into that for a very short amount of time and then you can go back to your life right but joy and wonder and mystery that's what it's all about and magic is one of those rare mediums wherein everything pulls you into a place of the unknown yeah. i think that's exciting for people. but in this uh, high-tech world in which we live right now there's just it, there's something that's really cool about this old-fashioned and i mean that in the nicest way oh yeah this this uh classic style of entertainment that still no matter how sophisticated you think you are, no matter how high tech you think you are, there's something uh, about what you do that still kind of, kind of blows you away a little bit when you see it happening. Gosh, I hope so. And, and, and I think you've tapped into something there because I have a taste for the old school classic formal close-up magic, right? That's the stuff that I think ignites the imagination the most. And uh, I think because we live in a high-tech world where we're stuck to a screen all the time, when we put that down and see stuff we can't explain happening in real life right in front of us, we know that it's not CGI or edited or yeah. anything because it's actually happening in your hands. Yeah. It changes it all, right? It makes it all the more magical. Yeah, maybe maybe that's uh, you know kind of what I'm thinking too is that we can create almost anything with you know special effects, with electronics, right. with computers now. But the fact that you were doing things, standing right next to me, 
Uh, and you know nobody could be more skeptical about things than me. <laughs> uh, you were you were doing all this uh, without the aid of any of uh, all of that. That's right. And I think you know with all of the tech that's out there in the world, um, you know I, I I find it healthy to take a tech break every now and then. Um, and in our show at the Magic Parlor at the Goodman, uh, we tell people you can't use your phone in the room. You just can't use it. Put it away for ninety minutes. Yeah. Sit back and enjoy some analog art. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Are people freaked out when you make them put their phones Yeah, away? they get a little huffy at first. And then an hour later, they're fine, <laughs> then right? They're, yeah. Then they're glad they did. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I actually went to a concert in Las Vegas uh, last month where, for the first time, they had us lock our phone in a pouch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they locked it closed. They wouldn't unlock it until you were leaving. And I thought people were going to revolt. Uh, but after the right. concert, people on either side of me were saying, I'm so glad they locked up our phones. Yeah, that no, was great. No right? distractions. Yeah, we need it. We need to step away from yeah, it. No distractions. I was the same way the first time that I went to see a show where they made you put your phones away like that, literally in a pouch. Yeah. Uh, so so nobody could take pictures. Nobody could do recordings. And nobody could be distracted. Nobody's phone right. is going off during the show. There are a lot of reasons why it's a really good idea. But I think we've become so, uh, you know, addicted to checking our phones for emails or checking our phones. Oh, right. Like, like you know, something earth shattering had happened in the last uh, 30 seconds. 30 right? seconds <laughs> since the last time that you checked it. Exactly. Were you like this as a kid? Were you one of these kid magicians? Putting on little shows. Oh, yes. Yes, I was. My granddad was a magician, and he ran a magic shop in Dallas for about 30 years. And I grew up learning to do magic from him, and I just loved it. I fell in love with it from the time I was really, really young. And around the age of 10, I think I started doing shows for small like family parties and yeah. uh, church events and things like that. Um, and so I was doing shows... Uh, from the time I was 10 o'clock on or 10 o'clock, 10 years old yeah. onward um, as a young magician. I just loved it. It's all I wanted to do. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Texas that was a big football school and I wasn't going to be a football player. So I just sat at home with a deck of cards and, right. learned, and learned to do card tricks yeah. all day. Oh, you must have right. been popular in school. Then. <laughs> I'll bet you were, though, as, as the entertainer, I'll bet. Right. right? There weren't there. There were no other kids doing card tricks like that. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, and I did. I did all of the um, what looking back, I would call uh, the nerdy magic things. Yeah. Right. I did magic conventions and magic competitions and all that sure, kind of nonsense sure. growing up. Sure. Uh, well, you know, none of them are playing the Goodman Theater right now. So I guess not. <laughs> so so there's, there's that. Uh, I, I had a fascination. There was a guy who lived across the street from me, an adult who was a magician and he would do kid shows and hospital shows and things like that. Yeah. And every once in a while, he'd come outside with all of his stuff and entertain the kids on the block. And it was fascinating. And then we would run to the local uh, magic shop, which also happened to be a pet store. It was Gordon's <laughs> Gordon's Pet Shop. And part of the store was dedicated to selling magic tricks. And part of it were, were animals and stinky. Uh, Dean, where was this? On the south side of Chicago. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, south side. A lot of, I'm sure South Shore people will remember Gordon's Pet Shop. It was quite the fusion of uh, two stores good lord i love it but gordon himself would do magic tricks for people and show you how to how you know how he would to sell you stuff he'd show you how to do the tricks and a after you bought it he would show you how to right do it. right uh so i was fascinated as a kid and then lucky enough as i got older 
to know Marshall Brodeen. Yes. Uh, the great Marshall Brodeen, uh, Wizzo from the, the Wizard from the Bozo Show. And, and just a wonderful human. Just a wonderful, wonderful human. And lucky enough to go to his home where he had that museum of magic. A remarkable museum of magic. In right? his basement of yeah. his house in, where, where he lived in Geneva. Uh, but you'd go out to dinner with him, and he would be doing magic tricks at the table. And right. And, and he, he did it the way that, uh, that I think uh, it, it, magic is meant to be shared, with just such a sense of joy. Yeah. You would look at his face when he was doing it, and you could just see the, 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 the kid Marshall in absolutely. there, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, what are the kinds of things that work best in the setting that you're doing now? Because this isn't the big stage at the Goodman Theater. This is a oh no, this is a close-up show. Uh, we cap our seating at 64 guests so that everyone could be nice and close. In fact, when we were moving over there and engineering the space, it was really important that to me that there would only be three rows of seating. By the time you're four or five rows back, I think that the experience of close-up magic shifts. Uh, so we seat people in three rows, a short row, a middle height row, and then a tall row in the back so everybody can see down to the top of a mm-hmm. card table nice and clearly. Yeah. And it's close-up magic and mind-reading and mentalism. Um, all stuff, I think uh, the, the most compelling magic is the magic where you do it, where you're the guest and you show up and something magical happens because of your choices and your thoughts and your actions. And so we try to create 90 minutes of close-up magic wherein the audience is the star, where you guys make amazing things happen every moment of the show all the way through. It's a lot of classic sleight of hand with borrowed objects. It's a lot of mind reading. Uh, I think that material is really exciting to grown-up audiences these days because we kind of want to believe it's possible, right? Uh, So there's a lot of mind reading and mentalism. And then... After the show, where we seat 64 folks, we do an encore performance for up to 20 guests where we all sit around one big round table and we do 30 minutes of really close-up stuff on the tabletop. Wow. That's amazing. It's a joy. That that, that after show, the encore experience, is one of my favorite parts of the day. I'll bet that's really It's a joy. Uh, The the show itself, uh, The Magic Parlor, has been extended through June of 2024. Uh, and uh, we'll tell you how to get tickets and all of that, and we'll come back. And uh, you're actually going to do some, uh, what would you call it, mentalism? I'm going to call it mind reading. Mind reading? You're going to do some mind reading with me, uh, and we'll see how all that works out. Uh, It's uh, uh, Dennis Watkins uh, in with us this morning, and we'll uh, take a break and come right back. Dennis Watkins is uh, in studio with us this morning. Dennis Watkins, the Magic Parlor, doing uh, magic and more at uh, the new home at the Goodman Theater and Paterino's Restaurant, all part of the Goodman uh, Complex. His show uh, has now been extended through uh, June of uh, 2024. I was going to say, I was going to tell you, uh, you know, how great that you get to stay in Chicago this, uh, you know, even longer. But during the break, you told me you live here. Now, you've lived here for quite some time. I do. I moved here in 2001. Yeah, so you're a Chicagoan now. I am now. It is my cold and wintry home. Yeah, this cold weather doesn't bother guys like us, right? I wish I could say that was true to you. But the, 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 there's a Texan in me still somewhere that has a hard time with the talk myself. I'm born and raised here, and I'm still not used to it. Uh, so what are we going to do here? All right. You're going to read my mind, apparently. That's right. Do you have your phone? I do. I have it right here. Would you open that up yes. and open your web browser, Dean? And as you open the web browser, make sure that nothing we cannot unsee pops up on the screen. <laughs> I don't think I have... Do, oh, I do have a lot of things open up. <laughs> and we're going we're to start okay. by building 
building context around this experiment. So I'm going to ask you to do a Google search. Do a Google it's search. a two-word Google search. I'm going to tell you what the words are. All right. The first word, Dean, is Wikipedia. Type in Wikipedia. Wikipedia. We know what that is. It's the largest online encyclopedia in the world. Yes, correct. Second word, count. C-O-U-N-T. Oh, one, all in one All in one search. Search. Wikipedia count, two separate words. Uh, wait, say it again. Wikipedia count. That's right. C O C O U N T. Yeah, okay. and then hit search, and then search. Okay. And then what do we see on the screen there? Let me see what you got there. You got some. We're looking for a snapshot of content. So there's one. Scroll up a little bit. Let's see what the next one might be. Uh, how many articles are there? Open that second one that says how many articles are how there on Wikipedia. How many articles are there on Wikipedia? Okay. And let's see what that gives us. We're looking for a snapshot of content. Oh, great. That's a big number, Dean. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to use a calculator here. Can Will I you re- read that number? Read that, that, yes. That me? 6,772,939. And does it say that's the number of articles on Wikipedia? Uh, it says there are approximately that many articles in the English Wikipedia as of the 21st of January 2024. Terrific. Does it say what the average word count per article the is? The average word count. You've done this before. Uh, 1,615. So articles times 1,615. We're looking at 10.9 billion with wow. a B, words. Yeah. That's the context. Wow. Can I see that? Show me that screen again and then scroll up a little. See that site that says visit Wikipedia? Click on that where it says visit Wikipedia. And let's see, what we're hoping is that we land on the uh, homepage of Wikipedia. Are you on? Great. You see that magnifying glass, Dean? Click on that. And then I want you to think of something, anything there might be an article for on Wikipedia, person, place, thing, event, type it in and hit search. And that's right. Hold your phone towards you so I can't see the screen. For for the folks listening, Dean and I are sitting across from each other. He's holding his phone with the screen towards him so I can't see it. Cannot see my phone. And then once you've done that, just hit search. Wait a second. Hold on. It's, oh, you know what? I misspelled. I misspelled. Spelling errors are probably fine. It might autocorrect you, but. Wait. So visit Wikipedia, right? Yeah, so you're there. And now let me put in let, let me type in the correct spelling of what I want. Okay. <laughs> All right. Great. So did you did you get an article? Yes. Okay, hold the phone against your chest just like this so yes. that no one can see it. Um and I just want you to picture. So just to be clear for those listening, we're sitting across from each other. Uh you've got your phone, you went to Wikipedia, you searched for something, yes. yeah? And uh it pulled up an article and look at that screen. Don't let me see it, but look at it. Do you see pictures, images, text? What do you see there? Text, all text. Text, so it's all text. So there's a, there's a lot of words there. I want you to think. Look at the screen, pick out any word that's at least two syllables. Something random. Nothing like I and or the, something totally random. Okay. You got one? Yep. Okay. Picture it. Imagine that it's written between us. Can you see it floating in the air? I do. Zoom in on the first letter there, okay. that word. Do you see All it in your mind? I do. Picture that? Good, 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 good. Is that an R? It is not an R. Okay. I see. I thought you were going to be easy, Dean. It's all right. It's all right. Get me started. What's the first letter? <laughs> W. W. All right. See, sometimes minds require a little bit of, of calibration. I think this is one of those times. So you picked a word out of the article. Would you just tell me what that word is? Wizard. Wizard. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay, good. Look right here. I said you could have thought of a, a person, a place, a thing, an event. A per- Don't say a person, place, a thing, an event, a thing, an event. It's a person. You're thinking about, you, you search for a person, yes? Yes. All right. I think... All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna write it down here for us. Um, 
I'm writing it down on the back of a business card. I'm, I'm going to hand this to you face down. Before you look at it, you could have thought of anything in the universe to search for there. You search for one thing. What is it? Should I look at, look at the card? No, tell us, tell us what you searched for What first. I searched for was Marshall Brodeen. Oh, the one and only. Which is exactly what you wrote on the card. Nicely done, that is, Dean. That's what you wrote on the card. Well, you know, sometimes you get lucky. Is that because we were talking about him and you, it's like in my mind? It, well, it came from your mind. So how, however, however yeah. it happened there, yeah. I was a little worried what actually might come out of my mind. Well, I won't tell them everything I oh, see. Good. Don't worry. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, that's, that's amazing. So you do things like this. <clears throat> you do a sleight of hand. A lot of sleight of hand. Yeah, yeah. I grew up studying sleight of hand with my granddad, who was a, who was a card worker and a close-up magician. Yeah. And so that's the bulk of the work that I spent my life doing. In the last, I'd say, 15 years is when I started to really study the mentalism part yeah. of the work. And I, I think that's really exciting. That's probably about 40% of the show. There mu- I'm sure there must be some science uh, to all of this. There's a little uh, science, a little luck, yeah. <laughs> a little guessing. And a little magic. That's right. And magic, of That's course. right. Yeah. Uh, you can see Dennis Watkins, the Magic Parlor. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Do you have Do you have anything in your bag of tricks for a little uh, sore throat here? Uh, oh no, I, I should have brought some some cough drops. No, that's okay. Uh, the show is called uh, the Magic Parlor, and it's at the uh, Goodman's the uh, Goodman Theater, the uh, the Magic Parlor, uh, the Goodman's uh, and Paterino's, the whole complex. Uh, now through June the twenty fourth. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Dean. My pleasure. It's a real pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you. Thank you. Really fun. And, uh, oh, we've had, we, people were playing along on, on our text line here. Oh, yeah? People were doing the same thing on our text line. And somebody texted in when you said, was it an R? Uh-huh. Uh, somebody said that theirs was an R. Oh, yeah. See, the, the, their thoughts, they were just getting in the way, uh, Dean. They were yeah, just right between you and me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, 612 area code, get your thoughts out of my mind. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I got enough to worry about with what I'm thinking of. Uh, coming up, we're going to get to our A-list interviews for today. Uh, you've seen them winning all kinds of awards the last week or so. Killian Murphy stars in the movie Oppenheimer, and uh, his director of Oppenheimer has also been winning all kinds of awards, Christopher Nolan. We sat down and uh, chatted with both of them one-on-one. We'll get to that coming up a little bit after 11 o'clock this morning. And then the uh, James Beard Award-winning Rick Bayless is uh, going to be joining us. He's celebrating a big anniversary at uh, his Frontier Grill and Topo Labampo. Chicago Restaurant Week is going on. It's been a little while since we've caught up with Rick Bayless, but he'll join us on our Food Time show. And if you were uh, watching my television cooking segment this week, this past Wednesday, you saw that I did a slow cooker meatloaf. It's, it's National Slow Cooker Month. Everybody knows that. Uh, but we we did. I believe Congress uh, proclaimed it so. Uh, we did uh, this uh, great meatloaf in a slow cooker. And it's a fantastic way to do uh, meatloaf. You just sort of set it and forget it. And it's ready at the end of the day. And it came out absolutely delicious. We'll go over uh, some of the uh, details of that recipe and more. We'll share some other slow cooker recipes coming up on today's food segment uh, as well. So uh, let's take a quick break for some of the news. We'll get caught up with the latest in weather and such all after this. Above zero, you say? Above zero. 
The uh, lowest reading we have is one above, and that's in DeKalb. And uh, the highest uh, reading we have right now is 20 in South Haven, Michigan right now. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be balmy for that uh, polar plunge. (laughs) Upper 30s, maybe 40. uh, That's next Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Are the golf courses going to open? (laughs) It just might. Are you one of those golfing in the cold weather guys? I've done it. No. I have done it. How how cold? How cold, cold and how much coldest, snow? Well, the coldest I've ever golfed in is like 45, 40. Have you really yeah, been I did, out? I did it once. I've been in there out in the upper 50s, maybe 60. But Golfing? Uh, yeah. I you, play. You golf? Yes. How do I not know this about you? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't played in a while, but I do play. Golfing without windmills and clowns? Uh, <laughs> clowns' mouths, yeah. <laughs> really? Seriously? I do play, yes. I never... I've known you a thousand years. We've I've never, never kn- talked about it because you're always making fun of me. You're always. <laughs> not always. It's always something. To, let's see how we can make fun of Schwani. I would say like 90% of the time. Not, okay. Not right. always. Well, that doesn't leave much to talk about the other 10% then. All right. Well, let's go golfing then. <laughs> Everybody says that. Oh, you play? Oh, we'll have to play sometime. Well, yeah, let's go. I never play. I don't golf, but let's go. You have played, though. I've heard you talk about it. I have. I have. <laughs> much, much to this may of the people. We're in my foursome. <laughs> and the people in front and behind you. I told the people, you know, I've, I've gone a couple of times, like on charity uh, things. Because uh, really, I just want to walk around and enjoy the sunshine and have a couple of beers and like that. Uh, I said, really, you don't want me in my, you don't want me to be in your foursome. I'm, I stink. <laughs> I'm not good. Oh, no, no. It'll be fine. It'll be so fine. on the third or fourth hole. Third or fourth hole, they, they're like, we should have listened to you. You are really awful. Can you just kind of stay here and while we uh, move ahead? Yeah. yeah. So let's go. <laughs> let's go, you and I. Not today. Andy, you want to go with us? Yes, I'm in. <laughs> and we can talk about all the deciduous trees oh, that we'll be no, seeing yeah, that was, way. Yeah, that was our last <laughs> outing. Never you know what? I just remembered. I'm You're not going to do it. Now. I'm busy that day. I just remembered that. I, as much as I would love to, we'll do it another time. Okay. It's such a cool song. Uh, sad reason that I'm playing it, though. The singer, the great Marlena Shaw, passed away. 81 years old. Twenty, are you familiar? You're a big jazz head. Are you yes. familiar with Marlena Shaw? Yes, I am. She's done a number of things, uh, more or less the crossover things that you might say. Yeah, yeah. Soul yeah. things and uh, and some jazz-oriented things. Jazz-oriented you know. things. Uh, she remade a couple of Diana Ross songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's remade uh, a, you know, a couple of pop hits and this really kind of jazzy, R&B-ish uh, kind of style. This is so stylized, isn't it? Isn't it? Like, yes, it is. So, like you would see on the, I don't know, like on Ed Sullivan. Or, right, exactly. There's a lot of instrumentation going that on. That cool, in there. that groovy kind of beat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Daddy oh, o. it's out of you sight. Know what I mean, Daddy Daddy o. O. It's on. far out. Farm out, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Marlena Shaw. It's just the most. Are you all right in there? Have you been? Do you watching, need a hug? Have you been? Well, I always need a hug. <laughs> I was just thinking of the groovy tune, the groovy expressions, and what shows you must have uh, picked them off of. 
<laughs> well, they were on every show that that's, was out. Well, that's very true. And the, you know, I mean, even Opie would say things like uh, the later you know, episodes, uh, yeah, of Andy Griffith, like Neato. No, he would he would bring in like far out, far and, out, yeah, you know, things like that. When mm-hmm. Opie Opie was starting to get uh, subversive, <laughs> subversive. When Opie was starting to starting to be a, a radical, when he ran away, and then they had to find him. Pa, would it be okay if I ran away sometime? <laughs> I'd tell you where I am. <laughs> That's such a good show. <laughs> Uh, I was watching some uh, mods. I've, I've been uh, like kind of binging a little mod uh, this week. It's on uh, it's on Antenna TV, our sister station, and uh, that is a brilliant show. Mod is a brilliant show, brilliant writing, but there is nobody like B. Arthur, no actress like B. Arthur. No, she just fit that role. She was, now was Norman Lear involved with that show? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, because Maude is a spinoff of All in the Family. All in the Family, yes. She was a cousin of Edith Bunker. Right. And they spun her That's off. That's right. That's right, yes. And then uh, Good Times was a spinoff of Maude. Man, <laughs> they all worked. Because Flo- the you know the character Florida Evans on Good Times, she was the uh, maid or housekeeper for Maude. Mm-hmm. And then they spun her off onto her, her own show. So... Yeah, Norman Lear was uh, part of all of that. But the um, we were talking about like classic episodes, absolute classic episodes on television. Somebody had texted in the Maud abortion episodes. Which that were, got a lot of attention. Considering when, when those came out, mm-hmm. which was what, like mid, mid-70s? mid Mid to late 70s, 76, maybe? 77, yeah. somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood. Uh, to deal with abortion on a television sitcom was unheard of back then but they did and it was thoughtful and provocative and uh funny uh, you know at times it was hilariously funny uh so you know if you if you get a chance and you, you know you're looking for some some great tv those mod episodes are absolutely hilarious absolutely great so uh let's see what else do we have here today did we talk about the polar plunge I just had a story on it. You mentioned it in the in the news, but I didn't get a chance to offer my fake. Uh, we should do that someday. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've said pretty consistently every year that this has been going on. That's something that we should, we should go do, do and do on the show. Yeah. Well, it's actually a Saturday, so it'll be the day before. We'll see who shows up Sunday morning following the uh, the plunge. <laughs> It doesn't seem to be that bad when you see people do it. <laughs> they just run in the water for a second, and then they run back out again. Yeah, my brother did it once. Yeah, what, what when, was uh, when what Jimmy was Fall- when Jimmy Fallon was here that time? Oh yeah, he did way it, back right. in the day. Yeah, yeah. He, he said it was kind of uh, a jolt, and right. then you're out. <laughs> Is it any worse than getting in a like a pool or probably not? Right. Yeah, he didn't think he, he didn't really think a whole lot of it. it was, you know, it was obviously a, something that he had never experienced before yeah running into the lake on a january or whatever february day but uh, he didn't say it was that bad. like off like i wouldn't have wanted done it last week for example no 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 but it's supposed to be kind of nice for next week but i'm thinking how bad can it be really 
you jump in a swimming pool, yeah, cold swimming pool, and you're shocked for a couple of seconds. Well, here's the thing, though. <clears throat> you know, the water, you jump into a swimming pool, and the water is 60 degrees or so. Water temperature here is 35. It's going to be, there is going to be a difference, not to mention the air yeah, uh, around you. One. Yeah, yeah. So what are you saying? You're out? Yeah. <laughs> um, Andy and I are doing you're gonna, it. You're going to do, do it? it? Sure. sure, why not? Can I take pictures? Sure, why not? Okay. I'll do it as long as I can wear a bathing suit like Curly did. I was going to say, that's the thing. <laughs> those right? one those one piece uh, <laughs> pretty much cover you up the whole and way. And you're going to take the big umbrella and put it up on the, on the North Avenue beach or the Oak Street beach there and... <laughs> Make a nice, make a little home for yourself. This is, uh, it's a charity thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, 100% of the donations uh, go to families in need. And, uh, well, here's the cut from uh, a committee member here uh, talking about uh, the number of people that they're already serving. Oh, One of the families that we're um, sponsoring this year is a black family. Arian had twins in 2022. Uh, one of them, Edward, is home. Um, Essence is still in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we're doing is providing reliable transportation so Arian, um, the mother, can go and see Essence. There you go, helping out a family there. Yeah, so let's do it. Okay. I'll be happy to watch you do it. Come on. <laughs> Come on, let's all do it. Come on. We 20. need some event we need some event like at other times of year other than tree time. Yep. We need an event where everybody will go. Remember when those three guys jumped in the lake? <laughs> We've been telling them to do it for years, but and only, they finally did it. But only two came out. Remember that? And uh, we are getting uh, very close to that time. This is one of the sweetest nights of the year in Chicago. The annual World of Chocolate uh, benefit for the AIDS Foundation of Chicago. Uh, it's a tremendous night where some of the city's top chocolatiers... Uh, put out their uh, their goods for you to taste and try and enjoy a terrific night, all in benefit of the good work of the AIDS Foundation of Chicago. And joining us on the phone line to uh, sketch in a few details, our pal John Peller, president and CEO of AIDS Foundation. John, hello there. Are you keeping warm? Hey, Dean, good morning. I sure am. And uh, thoughts of chocolate are uh, are inspiring me and, and warming me up. I'll tell you what, since uh, this world of chocolate was created, it's become one of my favorite events of the year. It's, uh, you know, number one, a really good cause uh, to help out the great work of AIDS Foundation, which we'll talk about in a second. But it is one of the most delicious nights of the year as well. Because, uh, you know, chocolatiers and chefs from all over Chicago get together and put together some absolutely amazing creations. Kind of describe uh, what people can see when they come to the Union Station on uh, Friday, February 9th. Well, one of the most amazing things that usually welcomes folks is a chocolate sculpture. And that is always uh just beautiful. We are expecting to have about 20 chocolatiers there this year uh, and doing uh, fantastic samples. We're looking forward to some things uh, like uh, the Blackout Cookie Raspberry Parfait from Blackout Baking in Mm. Oak Park. Uh, 
Steel City Bakery from Gary, the amazing uh, Chef Blake, is making a spicy jalapeno margarita bonbon. I have mm. no idea what that is, but it sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. And then my, my good friend at Super Kana, uh, the chef Yoshi Yamada, they're famous for their butter chicken calzone, of course. Uh, it's an Indian street uh, food-inspired restaurant. Who knows what, what they're going to do with chocolate? Uh, so just an incredible, uh, incredible array of chocolate-flavored uh, bites and drinks. And there's always uh, sweet and savory uh, creations. Yeah, I think that's the part that gets me is that, you know, at, at something called World of Chocolate, you would expect that there are little pieces of chocolate candy to enjoy and there are and they're delicious and they're top quality but some of the savory things that uh, some of these creative chefs have come up with that incorporate chocolate into their recipes uh, those are the those are the real uh, you know finds uh, the some of the real surprises of the night they really are and uh, last year we also had uh, the folks who make Malort, um, oh, right. uh, they they came up with a a chocolate Malort martini, which was actually fantastic. Uh, so uh, I think they're going to be joining us again this year and looking forward to seeing what they're going to come up with. Yeah, that sounds great. So uh, talk to me a little about uh, where the proceeds go that come in from World of Chocolate. So the uh, money raised at Worlds of Chocolate supports AIDS Foundation Chicago. We have two goals, and the first is to end the HIV epidemic, and the second is to end homelessness in Chicago. Uh, And so uh, our work to end the HIV epidemic includes our leadership of the Getting to Zero Illinois strategy, which aims to uh, end the HIV epidemic in Illinois by 2030. And we are in partnership with uh, city and state health departments and folks across the state of Illinois working to increase the number of folks who are taking PrEP, which is the HIV prevention medication, and also the number of people who are virally suppressed, meaning that they uh, have um, uh, healthy immune systems because they are taking HIV medications and uh if they're taking medications and they're working, that means they can't transmit HIV to their partners. And so, so that's really some of the great news today, that we have the technology and the knowledge to end the HIV epidemic. But one of the critical things that AFC does is provide supports like housing. We provide housing to about a 1,000 people living with HIV. Uh, and that's so critical because when people are homeless or couch surfing, they can't take their medications and uh, they can't. Uh, stay in medical care uh, that it's so vital to maintaining health. Yeah. Are are we making progress with getting to zero of ending the HIV epidemic? We we must be. I mean, just hearing you talk about vaccines and uh, suppressing the virus and all that is, you know, such welcoming talk uh, compared to what it was like at the beginning of the HIV epidemic. Uh, it, uh, It sounds like we've come a really, really long way. We have come a really long way. And uh, in fact, HIV, new HIV cases are down 15% in Chicago over the past five years, which is, which is really fantastic news. And uh, in other good news, people living with HIV are living longer thanks to medication and, and uh, the fantastic treatments we have today. 
That also brings other complications because uh, folks living with HIV are aging, and that's bringing a whole new world of of challenges. Um, you mentioned vaccines, and one of the one of the uh, concerns we have is that there really aren't any viable HIV vaccines right now. And so it's going to be years before those come along. And that's why it's so critical to leverage the technology we have today in the form of PrEP and really powerful HIV medications, uh, because we know that they work and we've got to get them into the, the hands of people who need them. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the vaccines, though, that uh, the people can take before they test positive, that, doesn't that exist? Uh, so, no, there's there's no vaccine for HIV. What does exist now is uh, a injectable, a shot that folks can get that is a form of, it's called pre-exposure prophylaxis, uh, and it's an HIV medication that lasts about two months. You get a, a shot in your butt, and uh, that is uh, upwards of 99% effective in preventing hiv uh-huh. so it's the tremendous technologies like that as Got well it. as the daily pill that folks can take right. uh that prevent hiv that um we need to uh do a better job of getting out to the folks who need it uh and that's what world of chocolate will support good deal so give us all the details on uh this incredible event uh it's friday february 9th but how can uh, people participate and join us at world of chocolate so folks can uh, get all the information at aidschicago.org slash chocolate. Uh, again, it's aidschicago.org slash chocolate. You can get your tickets there, uh, read more about the fantastic uh, chocolatiers who are coming, and, of course, uh, learn more about the work of AIDS Foundation Chicago. Yeah, it's a, a tremendous event. I, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you there and seeing uh, lots of old friends there. And uh, hopefully we can raise a lot of money for a tremendous cause, as always. Uh, John Peller is the uh, CEO, President and CEO of the AIDS Foundation of Chicago. Good to talk to you, John. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much, Dean. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much. And nice to have you in with us on this uh, balmy Sunday morning. About to get a little nicer as the week goes on. Keep you posted with all the latest weather info. Thought we'd talk about movies a little bit. This is a very, very busy movie time of year, mostly with all of the uh, award shows that have been coming out. Plus, the Academy Award nominations are going to be uh, Tuesday morning. So we'll find out uh, which movies and which performers uh, will be nominated for the big show that is uh, coming, the Academy Awards, in early March. But, you know, some of the big winners uh, so far this year have been Oppenheimer, have been uh, the uh, Emma Stone movie, Poor Things, uh, the uh, movie with Paul Giamatti, The Holdovers, getting uh, lots of uh, different awards. Um, interestingly, my favorite movie of the year just did not catch on with, uh, the you know, the voters for the award shows so far. Maestro, I still think it's the best movie of the year. Uh, but uh, the uh, voters of the Critics' Choice Awards, my colleagues in that organization, the Golden Globe uh, winners, uh, have not uh, reflected that at all. For some reason, the movie is not uh, you know catching on with people. We'll see when the Oscar nominations 
come out, how all of that shakes out. Uh, in a moment, I thought we would go back for our one-on-one interviews with uh, one of the actors and the director of uh, the the hottest movie that's out there right now, the movie that is the one to beat, uh, that's winning all the awards for Best Picture, winning all the awards for Best Director. Um, it is Oppenheimer. Uh, Christopher Nolan uh, has directed it. Uh, we'll hear my one-on-one interview with him and also uh, the star of the movie, the man who plays uh, Robert Oppenheimer himself, uh, actor Killian Murphy. That's all coming up in a couple of minutes. Let me just run over uh, this week's new movies. Mean Girls uh, will spend another week at the top of the box office when all the counting is done today. Uh, it's a it's a fun musical. You know, it's uh, a musical adaptation of the original Mean Girls movie that came out, what, like 20 years ago, something like that. That movie was then made into a Broadway musical, and now that Broadway musical has been brought back to the big screen with uh, a few new songs, but uh, some of the songs that are featured in the Broadway musical. And it's fun. It's, you know, it's basically the same storyline of a group of uh, mean girls, the bullies in high school, who intimidate and uh, uh, bully uh, every other student in their brand new student comes, you know, from uh, from uh, somewhere else and is uh, introduced into this uh, system of clicks and uh, negotiates it all. I, I had a good time watching it. I gave it a Dean's List B. And for the second week in a row, uh, it is the number one movie out in theaters right now. The uh, Jason Statham movie, Beekeeper, the action movie, takes the number two spot again. The Willy Wonka movie, which, uh, you know, I'll, I'll uh, you know, stand by what I said on that, is the, you know, one of the nicest movies that has been out for the holiday season. The uh, prequel to the Willy Wonka story starring Timothy Chalamet, uh, that came in in the number three spot. The rom-com Anything, Any, Anyone But You uh, takes number four. And then the animated film Migration is in the number five spot. For new movies this week, uh, it's not in a lot of theaters, so I didn't expect it to do very well at the box office. It's called Origin. It is uh, the an adaptation of a Pulitzer Prize-winning book uh, that is about the different groups how different so, uh, groups in society treat other groups of people in society. And really, the book is about the mistreatment of uh, how uh, people are treated in society. Uh, it is uh, a story that links uh, discrimination and hatred of African Americans and black and brown people in America with uh, other groups in other parts of the world. It's actually a very interesting sociological study that was done of how uh, you know some people see themselves as above other groups in all, all over the world, not just here in America. Uh, and the the uh, the source material for this book links all of these groups and comes up with some conclusions about why people uh, treat other people uh, so poorly 
uh, horribly, tragically in in some cases. So it's not, you know, it's not a, a feel good kind of movie, I guess you might say. Uh, but it's one, it's a thinker. It's one that'll leave you plenty to think about and ponder. And uh, it's very well done. It, it stars uh, Ingenue Ellis, who is a terrific actress, and she does a, a remarkable job in this movie. Nisi Nash uh, stars in the movie in a supporting role and is great. Um, it's directed by... Um, uh, uh, Ava DuVernay, uh, Oscar-nominated uh, director. Uh, so it's got a lot of things going for it. Uh, I, I thought it was a terrific movie. Uh, I, I love movies that leave you thinking about things uh, at the end, and this one uh, very much does that. It's called Origin, and it's just in a handful of theaters right now if you want to take that in. All right, so let me take a break, and when we come back, one-on-one with the stars and the director of oppenheimer next and it's d richard sunday morning on wgn i'm having a having a smooth jazz flashback from my previous radio station right now yeah uh let's uh talk some movies here this morning and the movie that has been winning all kinds of awards uh with the golden globe awards with the critics choice awards uh, that uh, came out, uh, Oppenheimer, over and over again, was chosen as the best picture of the year. I think that most people who go to see this movie are kind of blown away by what a masterpiece that uh, it, it was created by director Christopher Nolan. They just said, I wish it was a little shorter because it is three hours and some change, just a little over three hours. It is a long movie, but it's powerful and it's inventive and it's amazing uh, filmmaking, uh, it is quite the story. Uh, the story of uh, the most famous work of J. Robert Oppenheimer, who is uh, the man who has uh, led the development and the construction of the world's first atomic bomb. That's basically what this uh, movie is about. And uh, Killian Murphy, the Irish actor Killian Murphy, uh, is uh, I, I think is uh, very likely to win an Academy Award uh, for Best Actor for playing Oppenheimer uh, in this movie, and it was um, what was it last May I think May, May or June that we went to New York and uh, talked to the cast. We sat down with Killian Murphy, and uh, it was kind of a reunion a little bit with uh, director Christopher Nolan. Because he had done those uh, Dark Knight movies here in Chicago, the Batman movies, The Dark Knight. And he actually lived in Chicago uh, when he was a young man. But uh, he had some uh, great Chicago memories. WGN Channel 9. That's right. We, uh, we still tell stories of how you used our parking lot for helicopters and vehicles and oh wow and all the and all the good old days and I have to say I did think about when you blew up half the of Chicago for a dark night <laughs> last night it's like oh he's still blowing things up still blowing things up yeah exactly <laughs> talk to me uh, about the making of this because I mean the the storytelling of this uh, the way that you tell the story is quite provocative and quite. Uh, Interesting. How, how do you mm. approach telling this story, which is fairly well known, but to make it so visceral? For me, the, the key to it uh, was getting in his head, taking J. 
Robert Oppenheimer, who's an ambiguous figure. His story is full of paradox. It's full of uh, tragedy and triumph. It's it's a mixture of, of ethical dilemmas uh, and and you know a man who's at the very center of one of the biggest shifts in uh, humankind's relationship with the universe. Frankly, uh, so how do you get into that world? To me, it's let's get in his head. Let's see things from his experience. Um, the story is one we know the broad strokes of, but his personal relationship, his engagement with um, the Manhattan Project and, and everything that that changed about our world. Um, I was working from a book called American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin Sherwood. And early on in that book, you come to a passage that makes it clear that Los Alamos, which would become birthplace of the atomic bomb and is still to this day a very important laboratory for defense and uh, production of weapons. Um, it was a place he liked to go camping with his brother. It was that personal to him. And he just said, if I could find a way to combine physics in New Mexico, my life would, hmm. be, would be complete. Getting into the story in the personal way, that to me was the way in. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the uh, filmmaking itself yeah, uh, and the explosion itself, the explosion itself that you did without CGI. Mm. How, how did you create that? Well, we don't want to give away all the tricks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I didn't want to use CGI. Oh, oh, why, why didn't you want to use it? Well, the thing with the CGI is it's, it's animation. It's incredibly versatile. It's a very powerful tool. But inherently, it... it, it tends to feel a bit safe, not that threatening. That's why it's tricky to use in horror films, things like that. And when it comes to the Trinity explosion, this is, for the people who witnessed it, it's one of the most beautiful and terrifying things simultaneously. And I challenge my visual effects supervisor and my special effects supervisor to say, okay, take CG off the table. How can we give this imagery the beauty, the sort of hypnotic beauty, but also the threat? the feeling of danger to it. And so we looked to real-world solutions. They found some very brilliant solutions, some of them very small, mm. microscopic, things that stood in for larger things, and some of them very, very big and, yeah. and very explosive. But also done with restraint and mm. respect uh, and dignity. I mean, it would yes. have been very easy to make it a horrific moment, uh, and you chose not to do that at all. Well, what I'm trying to do, without giving away too much about the Trinity test itself, which is obviously the centerpiece of the film, and we knew it had to be a showstopper, and, and you had to really involve people, but we really wanted to be in their heads as to how they were experiencing it. <laughs> and the film is a film about consequences, and sometimes it's about the delay between the action and then the consequences that result. And so they're in a particular mindset they're focused these scientists and the and the military people you know matt damon's general groves killian murphy's oppenheimer they're coming together with this massive team and they work for years and spend billions of dollars billions in 1945 dollars uh for this one moment to see if they can make this thing work and so there's an incredible focus in a very particular way um and that's where the beauty and the the terror comes from in, in one set of images. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, not only in the telling of Oppenheimer's story, but how it relates to the world today. Mm -hmm. All the things that they talked about then that we're still dealing with. Thank you. There is uh, Christopher Nolan. We talked to him last May. <clears throat> uh, this is if you'll remember, this movie opened at the same time that Barbie did. Remember, everybody was talking about Barbenheimer. Uh, you know, people were going to double features and seeing this movie 
about the creation of the atomic bomb at the same time they would see this uh you know peewee's playhouse looking uh, you know movie uh, barbie which ha- it was the most successful movie of uh, 2023 made more money than uh, any other so it was uh, quite the phenomena and uh, voters did not forget it with the golden globes and the critics choice awards and we'll see how it all shakes out when the academy award nominations come out on tuesday morning the star of the oppenheimer movie i mean there are many stars he mentioned a couple of them uh, Matt Damon and uh, Emily Blunt, but uh, we have to also mention Robert Downey Jr., who also has been winning all kinds of awards for supporting acting uh, honors uh, for his role in Oppenheimer. Uh, they're all terrific, but uh, it is uh, the the strength of the performance of Killian Murphy in this movie that really makes it as J. Robert Oppenheimer. Now, uh, Killian Murphy, uh, you may know from Peaky Blinders. Uh, you may know him from a number of other Christopher Nolan movies in which he he's starred. Uh, Dunkirk, uh, the Dark Knight movies, uh, in which he played uh, Scarecrow. Uh, Batman Begins, the the Batman early Batman movies. Uh, Inception. I mean, he is he is uh, part of. The Christopher Nolan uh, uh, entourage, you know, of making uh, motion pictures. He's, he's part of the stable, uh, if you will. And that's one of the things that we talked about of how uh, this project came to him via his friend, Christopher Nolan. Well, Chris called me in September 21, and then he flew over from L.A. to Dublin to give me the script. So I had from September 21 till... February 22 when we started shooting so I had six months more or less uh, and then it was a long process because there's so much stuff available you know online <clears throat> so many books so much archival material about Oppenheimer so I just dove into it uh, um, and then obviously there was the script and then I flew out and back to to LA and we did a lot of camera tests and makeup tests and costume t- tests trying to get that silhouette and look right so it was a it was a long process but a very uh, stimulating one is it more daunting for you as an actor to play a, a real person as opposed to somebody fictional i think there's a level of responsibility that comes mm. with that for sure um particularly with this character because he's so iconic you know and uh what happened in 45 changed the world and uh, so there, there is a level of responsibility but you kind of have to shake it off after a while and just go after it and go and serve the script that's your I suppose your your you know that's your obligation the yeah. most important one what is um, what's the Christopher Nolan experience like for you as a director I mean you're one of I don't know exactly call you one of his regulars but yeah you've had a little more experience than many others um He's the best. I mean, he's he's kind of phenomenal. He's he's one in a million. I think he's he may be the perfect director. You know, he can he's he's brilliant with actors. He's a brilliant writer. He's amazing visually. He tells stories unlike anybody else, and he tells them on this huge canvas. But yet they're really emotionally engaging. Um, you know, I, I I started working with Chris twenty years ago, so it's it's been a massive part of my um, part of my life, and this is our sixth 
picture together. It's probably a little shorthand between you, I would guess. That's it. That's right? what you get from re-collaboration is that shorthand, that trust. Trust is the most important one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really trust him, and I, and I hope he feels the same about me. And So it means you go straight to the work. You don't have to talk about any other stuff or get to know each other. Any small talk is just straight to the work, and that's, that really helps. Yeah. Do you think there are uh, some lessons to be had in addition to learning about Oppenheimer himself, some lessons to be learned uh, for those of us today that are worried about you know, nuclear war, mm-hmm. uh, the arms race, uh, the possibility of all of this, what it means today? Yeah. Um, I actually believe that films should ask the questions and not give the answers and I think this is what the f- film does. It's not prescriptive but it does provoke and, 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 and I'm very proud of that because it's entertaining but it makes you think. There you go. It is uh, Killian Murphy, the star of Oppenheimer uh, and uh, likely the actor who will win Best Actor at the Academy Awards. We won't find that out until March but as I had mentioned before, the Academy Award nominations are Tuesday morning. Uh, we will have all of that for you, so you can keep up with it if you're interested. And uh, you know, we'll, we we march on in award season. We've got the Oscars coming up in March. The next award show is actually my favorite award show of the year, and that is the Grammy Awards because it's almost all musical performances. And uh, I enjoy it, even though, you know, there are lots of artists that I don't know and lots of musical genres that I don't either don't get or, you know, are not particularly my favorites. I, uh, I, I like uh, hearing what's out there and what's new and what's, uh, you know, what's, what, what's, the, what's the latest. I, I like keeping up on uh, all of that. So anyway, that's going to be on uh, February the 4th. So we've got a couple of more award shows to go. I cover it all so because I know a lot of you don't like watching uh, award shows. It's my pleasure uh, to do that. Coming up after 12 o'clock, Rick Bayless, the uh, James Beard Award-winning restaurateur and uh, chef, will join us. He's celebrating a big anniversary at his restaurants uh, this year. We'll uh, talk a little bit about that. And Chwani coming up after the uh, 12 o'clock news, a listener, we were talking about uh, Maud. The TV yeah. show earlier mm-hmm. and B. Arthur. Sure. Somebody uh, texted to me an incredible piece of information I never knew about actress B. Arthur. And I'll uh, share what that is. Okay. After you bring us up to date on what's going on. What's the snow situation in Michigan City? Michigan City uh, slowly but surely digging out from around three feet of snow. Uh, the snow, as we said, uh, moving into the uh, further north and east of uh, uh, northwest Indiana and uh, into upper Michigan and the uh, northeastern United States. So they're still uh, they're still going to be still working on by this. Yeah, I bet they'll have things cleaned up uh, pretty quickly, and then the weather is going to cooperate. Uh, uh, over the next few days, so th- you know that's all good. <laughs> that's true. You know, temperatures in the 30s and into the 40s, but with that amount of snow, it's going to be a long time oh, yeah. before it'll all be gone. No, but I mean, the, you know, they'll clean up the main roads. Mm-hmm. And the nice temperatures, the warmer temperatures, will uh, you know make things a little, yeah. a little safer to drive around. At least we had a story out of Memphis that uh, the cold weather down there has burst so many pipes that 400,000 people are under a boil order what because of the water down there 
Yes. Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, because of the uh, the uh, situation cool. down there being so bad, uh, the uh, Memphis pipes have uh, been, uh, they've had frozen pipes. They typically don't get this type of brutal cold right, down there. Right. So 400,000 people are affected by that, a boil order there because of that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the weather. Nothing's, <laughs> nothing's changing. Nothing's, nothing's weird. Nothing's unusual. You just ignore all these weird things going on. We'll have 80 degrees in mid-February. I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't tell mind you. it either. wouldn't tell you that much. That, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, well, I'm just glad to hear that uh, you know there have been relatively few... Uh, you know, major stories uh, with the heavy snow coming in Indiana. So that's yeah. uh, that's good. The freezing rain could be a problem tomorrow and Tuesday, you know, in the morning hours if yep. things are pretty slick out there. Um, and they've also been saying that the freezing rain is hitting frozen ground. So, you know, that can cause trouble. Yeah, that's not good. Nope. Nope. I'll be extra careful when I go to get my cigarettes and fireworks this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess I should go Wednesday is what you're telling Wednesday me. Wednesday would be ideal. Okay. Yes. Can you hold out until then? Yeah, I got a couple oh, of cartons. Okay. I got a couple of cartons. <laughs> so, that should last for a while. I am completely blown away by a story. Yes, I've been wondering about this. Uh, Someone texted you. Somebody texted me some information about actress B. Arthur of uh, Golden Girls fame, of Maud fame, of uh, Broadway stage fame. I'll share that with you in just a second. I learned so many things off of our uh, text line. Uh, Today, especially, has been very, very uh, educational. Uh, I learned today uh, where I can buy an old-time 1920s bathing suit. Uh, Somebody (laughs) texted me that because we said we were going to do the polar plunge, and the only way I would do it is if I had... One of those old-timey bathing suits. Uh, Boy, is that a picture! So, oh, you're gonna. It's it's when I get it, yeah. you are never gonna forget what I look like. No, that is something <laughs> you are emphatically. No, you are never gonna be able to unsee in your mind. I learned today uh, how many people would like to come on the show to dispense uh, unqualified medical information. Uh, we had a lot of people who wanted to uh, play doctor, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, on the show today. And I'm completely up for that, by the way. I've, I've been advocating doing a segment where uh, we give unqualified uh, medical information uh, in an episode that Andy has titled... Dr. Malpractice. Uh, yeah, I think that would be... That would be uh, right right before the authorities take me away. <laughs> that would be something uh, I thought Victory Auto Records wouldn't be, you know, that what people remember me for. But uh, it may wind up being that. But here is the best thing that I learned on our text line today. We were talking about old TV shows. We were talking about uh, memorable episodes. Uh, B. Arthur, uh, the, the, uh, the Maud abortion episodes came up. And we're talking about the career of B. Arthur and Golden Girls and all that. And the 219 area code texted in a message saying that B. Arthur was the first woman Marine. Well, really? Hmm. B. Arthur, the first woman Marine. So, you know, I looked it up, did, you know, checked several resources. 
Uh, not that I wouldn't believe, you know, just any old thing, anything that comes off the text line because we get, we do get some <laughs> unusual things that come uh, from the text line. But uh, this is directly from the National World War II Museum in New Orleans. You ever been there, Shwani? No, you I haven't. I'm very familiar with it. Though. Yeah, you visited many uh, important yeah. museums around yeah. the country. Uh, it says, uh, B. Arthur, U.S. Marine, B., uh, Bernice Franklin, that was her name at birth before she got married and changed her name for TV, uh, Bernice Franklin's official military personnel file re- reveals a Golden Girls World War II service history. Before she took to the Broadway stages and became a beloved Golden Girl uh, Bernice Frankel, better known today as B. Arthur, joined thousands of other women paving the way in the U.S. Armed Forces, uh, becoming a United States Marine. February 13, 1943, the call went out to women across America, be a Marine, free a man to fight. The U.S. Marine Corps established the Women's Reservists making the Corps the last branch of service to allow women into its ranks. Uh, Bernice, B. Arthur, heard about this, and uh, just five days after that, she enlisted. She enlisted in the U.S. Marines. You can picture this, right? right? You can just see her doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. There's there's a, a picture of her. I guess this is her induction uh, picture it it's a super young version of b arthur or as it says on here uh franklin comma bernice uh 20th of february 1943 uh for, you know her taking her picture she stood uh five feet five feet ten she she was always a tall glass of water we all know that <laughs> And then uh, there is uh, what looks like a pamphlet with scribblings on it and stampings on it of dates and so forth of her military service. It's the professional and conduct record of uh, Bernice Franklin, uh, who, who married a guy named Arthur, by the way. I think Robert Arthur was her husband's name, who she, she had divorced. Uh, so the, and then she you know changed her name to to be B Arthur. That's where that came from, but it shows her entire uh, record in the service. She was a U.S. Marine. Wow. B, B Arthur was Maud, a Golden Girl, and at uh, at a very young age, a United States Marine. It makes you wonder why that's not better known, right? With as popular as she was, with everything that she did. That, uh, you know, that wasn't better. That's the first I had known about. I, I'm, I'm wondering why she didn't talk about it That's more. Yes, yes. You know, I, I, I know that a lot of people were in the service. I don't know if she saw combat or, you know, what, what they did. Let me, let me just read on a little bit here. Every woman who served in the Marine Corps in World War II had a official military personnel file. These files contain details from their time in the Corps. Their, their transfer orders, their schools attended, medical issues, etc. Let's see if it says someplace what she did. This is interesting. She spent 1944 
at the U.S. Marine Corps Air Station in Cherry Point, North Carolina, worked as a driver and a dispatcher. Upon her discharge in 1945, she had reached the rank of staff sergeant. Wow. Her discharge paper indicates the des- a desire to attend dramatics school, setting her on a path to the stage and screen. How about that? Staff Sergeant B. Arthur. <laughs> a very, very accomplished woman in many ways. Thank you for being yes. a friend. Absolutely. <laughs> I can completely hear her barking orders at people <laughs> with that voice of hers. Yes. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to watch Golden Girls the same way. The same way, that's right. Wow. It truly is amazing. It is amazing. I I interviewed her one time. She was doing a one-woman show here in Chicago, and uh, it was a great show. It was really interesting of her telling stories and singing songs and uh, so forth. This was, uh, I don't know, a few years before she passed away. Uh, She sat in... Our studios here at WGN Radio sat with her for about an hour. I got to find that interview, right? Yeah. And this, of course, did not come up because you did not know this until now. I didn't know it. And And she made no hint of it then. I wonder if, you know, I I know for a lot of people who are in the military, they don't really like to talk about it. They don't want to seem as though they're bragging about it. Um, This was a time... You know, that greatest generation that they dropped whatever they were doing to help fight Hitler, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the the efforts in World War II, Uh, you know, so maybe it's part of that mentality of the greatest generation of not bragging. modesty about it. The modesty, right, about the whole thing. I know a lot of people who saw combat didn't like to talk about it because they didn't want to relive it. Um. But, um, yeah, she was uh, <laughs> she was a staff sergeant in the U.S. Marines. Amazing. I'm going to have to look into the background of Maybe. Betty White. <laughs> I'll bet that Sophia was. I'll bet she saw combat. <laughs> Sophia. Betty Stella White. Getty. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel. Right? Yeah. This is the most fascinating thing I'm going to learn today. It is amazing. I think so, yeah. Yep. Well, thank you to the texter in uh, 219. 219, yeah. Uh, Northwest Indiana. Coming, thank you. Coming in uh, coming in for it. So there you go. Oh, here's another text coming in saying, here is uh, one more mod factoid uh, from our text line. This is the 630 area code the theme song. Do you know who sang the mod theme song? The one you just played? Yeah. Oh, couldn't tell you though. Who was it? Yeah, a second. <laughs> a second. Freedom rider. She didn't care if this one. According to this texter, she was a sister who really Donnie Hathaway. Oh, sure. The late that great makes Donnie sense. Hathaway. Yeah, that sounds like Donnie Hathaway. Oh, yeah. the super popular back in yeah. uh, that era. Oh, sure. Sure, that's him. Then there's Maud. The uh, Maud Show. Uh, the Maud Show. The, <laughs> as, I like to call, as I like to call it when I'm talking like I'm crazy. The, <laughs> the Maud Show. Maud. 
was on uh, from 1972 to 78 and has been in uh, rerun heaven ever since then, you can now see it on our sister nostalgia station, Antenna TV. It's on uh, 7 o'clock at night, uh, Monday through Friday. Let me see. Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Saturday. Well, there's a whole, like, different days. It's on different times. But uh, you catch it on Antenna TV uh, and check your local listings on that. Rick Bayless from Frontera Grill in Topolobampo. James Beard Award-winning chef and restaurateur. Joins us after 1230 talk about his big anniversary here in chicago uh some interesting texts here coming in about women in the marines uh and that era of uh people in the military service he's talking about how we never knew that uh, b arthur was uh, one of the first women in the marine corps uh there are some articles that i read that said that uh she uh, denied that she was ever in it, although these military records are very clear, and they are very clearly her picture in it. Uh, but here's a, a text from the 630 area code, and I think uh, probably a lot of people uh, can relate to this, uh, saying that it's just part of that generation. 630 area code said, I was a grown adult before I knew that my father served in England and in France during the war. He felt he fulfilled his obligations like others and that it was never something to brag about. How about that? Yeah, that's what I suspected uh, from that generation. It's a very humble, uh, non-braggy kind of, you know, it's, the, it's, it's called the greatest generation for a reason. Uh, here is uh, the 708 area code just to, uh, you know, follow up on some more Maud uh, trivia. You're talking about Maud. Uh, it all began on Archie Bunker. Did all begin on All in the Family? She was on two episodes of uh, All in the Family, and then they spun her off on, onto her own show. Uh, the texter uh, reminds everybody in the Bunker house was sick, and she came to help her cousin Edith. Yeah, that's exactly how uh, Maud was introduced on the show. Archie never liked her uh, because she was, uh, you know, loud and brash and liberal. Uh, so she, that did not uh, fall in line with the Archie Bunker, uh, you know, way of life. That's no surprise. Yeah, not a surprise at all. And here, this confirms, uh, Shwani, this next text from 630, what you were saying. Uh, the World War II Museum in New Orleans is a memorable experience that should not be missed. I need to go there because I have put uh, the names of my two uncles there uh, in terms of how you can honor them. Uh, I've included their names uh, in that museum. He, what do you they mean? served in World War II. You can look up their names? You can you... look up their names and when what you're there. Apparently, so there's a screen that you can scroll on to look at names or call up a name yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So you put your, your uncle's names. I, my uncles also were uh, served in World War II. I could put we could put our uncles' names in there and see what they did and what they uh, how, where where they served like that, that, that something sort of like thing. that right exactly. Well, but it's on an honor an honor roll list yeah. is what it is. Uh, 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 okay, all right. Uh, it sounds like a fascinating place, and I think uh, that you and I should go on a field trip. I think we should.
There's uh, this is how long yeah, do you how long do you think you and I would last in a car on a road trip? <laughs> about ten minutes. <laughs> one of us, one of us would be if put that, out on the side of the road. We would be hearing, "Don't make me pull this car over." I, I would say roughly around Kankakee, one of us would be put out <laughs> of the car. And here we go. It's time to eat. Food time. Chicago Radio's only cooking and dining show is on the air. Every Sunday at this time, two times the award-winning All Things Edible program here on WGN. And now we're doing the cooking version on uh, WGN-TV Morning News every Wednesday. This past Wednesday, we uh, celebrated National Slow Cooker Month. Who even knew it was Slow Cooker Month? Uh, But it is, and this is a, a great slow cooker time of year when it's so cold outside you've got so many things to do set a few things into the slow cooker forget it for four six eight hours and then come back and your house smells fantastic and you've got a great meal waiting for you i did a recipe of uh a slow cooker meatloaf which is uh, not something which you normally do in the the slow cooker usually it's stews and you know chilies and soups and you know things like that but the slow cooker meatloaf uh, really came up pretty good it's pretty much a traditional uh, meatloaf recipe uh meatloaf uh, topping but uh it's uh it's cooked uh if you do it on a high setting for four hours if you do it on a low setting for six hours and these meatloafs i did uh, two or three of them testing it out and uh, it, it comes out so moist and really so delicious. Now, I like a meatloaf that's got a little bit of a crust on it, if you know what I mean. Uh, so once you take it out of the slow cooker, you just throw it under the broiler for a few minutes, and it crusts up a little bit, and you've got everything that you need. But uh, super handy. The recipe is at wgntv.com slash Cooks. That's where we keep all of our uh, recipes. And it was at WGN-TV this week that I bumped into... Uh, a longtime pal, uh, he was on the very first food time shows that we did here on WGN Radio because he had uh, just started his own restaurant uh, right about that time, a few years actually before we started the food show. Uh, he has gone on to win uh, several James Beard awards. He now has nine cookbooks. He had an award-winning. Uh, series, uh, Mexico One Plate at a Time, uh, that uh, you saw forever on uh, public television. Uh, his restaurants here in Chicago, Frontera Grill, Topolobampo, among others, are among the very best. And a pleasure to welcome back to the show the great Rick Bayless. Hello there, my friend. Thank you so much. It's so good to be back with you again, Dean. I When we got this, a chance to see each other earlier this week, I thought, man, this has been way too long. It has been a long time since I've seen you, uh, but uh, I'm just, I'm so happy for you and all your success. Uh, you blew my mind when you told me that you're coming up on an anniversary uh, for <laughs> your restaurants, which is how coming up on how many years? Well, in a few months, it'll be 37 for Frontera, and we just passed 35 for Topolobampo. So we've been around for a little while. That's amazing. That's that's amazing. And, you know, considering restaurants never last that long, 
that's yeah. just an absolutely amazing feat, and there all all kinds of uh, great and creative reasons why that has happened. Uh, but you know, I remember that you were among my very first guests on this food segment that we had started. Yeah, uh, you had you had just started your restaurants. And, uh, you know, we would talk about this, uh, you know, unusual brand, what, what we considered to be unusual brand of Mexican food. It's really a true, true uh, form of Mexican food that got right. co- corrupted, really, in the U.S., <laughs> uh, you know, got changed and, and uh, uh, modified. But uh, you're, you're still going strong there. To, to what do you attribute all that success uh, and longevity? Oh. I would say several different things, but um, primarily the fact that we are constantly trying to make everything better. So we change our menus really regularly, and that means that we have to have a stable of a lot of recipes that we're pulling from. And because we do really give um, great admiration and tribute to the traditional things in Mexico, we have to really know what those are. And so every year we take all of our management staff, all of our chefs, to Mexico to explore new regions, maybe new for them. I've been to all of them, but it's really great to go back and see what's going on in those places. So we're always pulling in new stuff that we have come across in Mexico and then um, celebrating just those things. That keeps it fresh. And I think freshness is the thing that everybody wants to see in a, in a restaurant. And plus, I just love that stuff, you know? The creative aspect of it is really the thing that gets me out of bed every morning. And the investigations, the going to Mexico, the exploring regions is really a, a great thing for me. If I've asked you this question once, I've asked it a hundred times. <laughs> how, do you, how do you compare your authentic Mexican recipes to what is generally served at, uh, you know, what are called Mexican restaurants all over the United States. Right. Well, we, we um, okay, so the, the stuff that you're referring to, I just refer to it as Mexican-American cuisine because a lot of it came out of the cooking that was done uh, along the, the Mexican border, but on the U.S. side, certainly from California. We have all the, the great tradition of the burritos and such. From Texas, we have all of the fajitas and the nachos and stuff like that. Um, but those things, um, mostly in Mexico, would be referred to as American food, which is kind of funny. Um, but um, now they're becoming more common in Mexico, and people are starting to see them, mostly because there's so many Americans that go to the beach communities and they're looking for that kind of food. But what we do, I would say, is um, a more complex cuisine than most of that. Sure, it's fun to eat all those simple tacos and stuff like that, but I I cut my culinary teeth in central Mexico, around Mexico City, and that is a place with such a rich tradition of so many different dishes, all the moles and the pipianes, incredible soups and stews. Those are the kinds of things that I wanted to bring back to the U.S. and share with people because I think it really represents how how really remarkable and respectable this cuisine is it's just more than just the tacos and burritos and such yeah much much more complex and the reason why you've won so many james beard awards and your topo lobampo is a michelin starred uh restaurant yes. 
uh, which is, uh, you know, those those don't come easy. Uh, right. know, th- those come from uh, lots of creativity and lots of uh, hard work. Uh, bring us up to date on all of your restaurants now, because they're all over okay. the place. I'm, I'm going to probably stop at uh, your place out at O'Hare today. I'm taking a flight uh, later on today. I, I may stop and have uh, a little snack on my way uh, before I get on the plane. Yeah. Okay. So um, Fronteras, our original, um, uh, opened in 1987, still going strong um, as it is. Uh, great place for all of our listeners that want to come in and try it for the first time, perhaps, and um, and experience our restaurant week menu. Uh, we, we've got some great stuff to offer there. The second one to open was Topolo Bapa 189. Um, and as you said, it's our Michelin starred. Um, it was given from the James Beard Foundation the number one uh, restaurant in the country award one year. Um, so we are really, really proud of the consistency of the food that we do there, the elevation of the cuisine. We give you a full-on experience, um, probably unlike a lot of people have ever had before. Um, then we open Choco next, which is the place that really focuses on uh, tortas, Mexican sandwiches, caldos, the meal in a bowl soups, and um, fr- fried to order churros, which are my passion in life. And so um, we we opened that to offer something that was um, more accessible to a lot of people. And that's what spawned the places in the airport. So we've got three places in the airport and one at Willis Tower down here. Um, and we've just sprouted a couple of those places in New York as well. So really focusing on the, the tortas, the Mexican sandwiches. Um, and then we have a place down at Disney Springs. Um, that is a full-on sit-down restaurant that it's like sort of a mini version if you will of frontera grill i'm trying to imagine what you would look like with the mickey mouse ears on you're right <laughs> oh i missed one. Oh my god oh don't anyone tell anyone at my restaurants no i forgot to tell you our newest place which is um the bar sotano so it's a sort of speakeasy type bar and it's underneath frontera you can't walk in the front door and get there. You actually have to go around to the back, through the back alley, and go down the stairs there. And that's sort of a Mexican, uh, modern Mexican bar food, if you will. It's a complete menu, but the um, the drink list really features exclusively um, mezcal. That's really what we're going mm. for. And we have an incredible collection of these art- artisan mezcales that we um, we offer people and. A a lot of people just really love this place because once you get in there, it's a um, there, there's this sense that you're separate from the rest of the world. You've come down the back stairs and it's kind of lower ceilings and it's a very intimate atmosphere. It's one of my favorite places in spite of the fact that I just forgot to even say it when I was talking <laughs> about our restaurants. Well, it's, you, I love to eat dinner. Yeah, there. you've got quite a few places. Not surprising you might forget one or two. I need to take a quick break, but when I come back, I want to talk about restaurant week and what you're doing but also your uh, Afro-Mestizo menu that Ah, will uh, begin uh, at the end of January. Rick Bayless is uh, on the line, and we'll come right back. 1249, 720 WGN, and Dean Richards. I know you can get margaritas uh, aplenty. I would guess you could probably get a pina colada if you really wanted 
over at one of Rick Bayless's uh, restaurants. Rick joins us on the phone line today to celebrate what will be his 37th uh, anniversary of his uh, restaurants. Uh, his uh, cookbooks are out there. His uh, the food products. I see your food products, uh, Rick, on the grocery store uh, shelves. Uh, it's quite it, in 37 years. That's quite an empire that you've built over there. <laughs> On Clark Street. Well, it's been, yeah, it's been a slow build. I'll put it that way. We never really tackled anything very fast, but we're really proud of what we've been able to do over these um, almost four decades yeah. now yeah. in Chicago. An overnight success in 37 years. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So um, what, uh, what is the, I've, I've been reading about this Afro Mestizo menu that you're going to yeah. be doing January 31st through March. What uh, yes. What is that exactly? Okay, so um, the one thing that a lot of people don't know is that um, during the time of colonization, there were a lot of African slaves that were brought into Mexico as well as other places throughout the Caribbean, certainly the United States. And um, they settled in certain places in Mexico. And um, even though slavery wasn't really a huge thing and was outlawed very early in Mexico, the communities didn't go away. But the government of Mexico did not really acknowledged that they were there until fairly recently. And in during Black History Month, uh, we thought it was a really good time for us to focus on that and share the Afro-Mestizo um, cuisine and culture with the people that came into our restaurant. So in Frontera Grill, we will be doing a special menu that focuses on the kind of food that was um, that is made in those communities and where they settled. Um, was in the northern part of the state of Veracruz along the Gulf Coast, just south of the U.S. border. And then the second place where there's actually the largest communities um, is along the Pacific Coast. So if you trail down from Acapulco and continue to go south, toward the Guatemala border, you come to this place that's called the Costa Grande and Costa Chica. And Costa Chica is the place where there are many of these Afro-Mestizo communities. Um, I just found a group on Facebook that is actually leading tours there. This is a, um, a the Afro-Mestizo community that lives there has come up with all these tours and they do culinary tours and all that sort of thing in these communities. Um, to, again, to raise awareness that they're there and also to celebrate their contributions to what we think of as classic Mexican food these days. And, you know, their food has a little bit of a reminiscence of what we would call Caribbean food because many of the Africans that came to the to the Caribbean islands, they brought a whole lot of food products with them and then a lot of those people also brought those things over into Mexico. And so a lot of the root vegetables and different preparations that we think of as sort of Caribbean based, those are the things that are that are reminiscent of Afro Mestizo cuisine mixed with the chilies and the moles and all that sort of thing. What would be uh, you know some examples of some of the foods that you'll be serving during that time? Well, last year, um, one of, we haven't 
fully put together the menu that's going to go here at the end of the month yet. But um, last year, one of my absolute favorite dishes was a dish that had plantains and a yucca root together. And those were a filling for an enchilada that had a red chili sauce on it. And the sweetness of the plantain and that that unique starchiness that you find in yucca root, which I just absolutely love. And um, those two things together, as in, in, in together with this red chili sauce, I thought was just absolutely spectacular. Mm. A little drizzle of um, our homemade crema, um, like a Mexican creme fraiche, yeah. is just oh man, it was so so good. Oh, that sounds really good. Uh, Chicago Restaurant Week is going on uh, as we speak. How are you celebrating yes. it at your restaurants? Um, we're doing it in two of our places. We're doing it at Frontera Grill, where you can get a beautiful three-course um, menu of classics from Frontera. We find that during Restaurant Week, a whole lot of the people that come in are first-timers to our restaurant. And so we want to put our best foot forward and do the stuff that's super popular, tried and true. So we have uh, three choices in each uh category of three courses and so people can choose what the, sounds good to them and then uh, down in Bar Sotano, the place the sort of speakeasy mezcal bar that I was talking about before, um, that place is um, has three courses as well um, and if you're um, sort of I would say more on the modern side of things not so much on the classic side then that's the place you're going to want to go um, there's choices in every course for the three course menu as well uh, down there but like um, um, instead of ceviche that you would find on the menu in Frontera, we do an agua chile that starts with uh, sashimi-grade scallops and shrimp and then has a sort of spicy, um, brothy sauce that's infused with green chili and, and serranos and lime. So those are the kinds of, of differences that you'll see on those menus. Yeah, when you talk about this, it sounds like music. It, it, you know, the way you describe <laughs> things is lyrical, and uh, you can't wait to d- dig in, which, which goes along with uh, one of the texts that uh, have come in during your segment. Uh, Dean, thanks for having Rick Bayless on as a guest. He has taught me so much about Mexican cooking through his television programs uh, through the years. You must hear that all the time, I'll bet. I love to hear that because that's my goal is to teach people about traditional Mexican food and how to make it in their own homes. Because once you sort of get comfortable with some of the basic stuff, it's really easy to tackle. And then you can offer your friends and family really beautiful, beautiful dishes. Now, we did 12 seasons of Mexico, one plate at a time on public television. And we've decided to retire that for a while. And now I'm focusing very heavily on um, YouTube. So anybody that loves what I did on Mexico One Plate at a Time will really love uh, what I'm doing on YouTube. So you could subscribe to my channel there. We post something new twice a week, so you can really learn a lot of um, – it's all new material. And um, so if you liked what I did on Mexico One Plate at a Time, then you'll love what I'm doing on, on YouTube. There you go. It's uh, the perfect evolution. So I like to ask fancy schmancy uh, chefs such as yourself, do you ever just have uh, you know days where you just want a burger, 
You just want a grilled oh, cheese yeah. sandwich. You just <laughs> have. Have you ever done a meatloaf in a slow cooker like I did the other day? No, but I was so happy to hear you talk about a slow cooker because I love slow cookers. I love them for two reasons. One, it's a sort of set it and forget it kind of thing, and you don't have to worry about something scorching or getting over overcooked. The second thing is exactly what you said. You come into your house and it smells so good. You can't wait to serve dinner. So I really love and I rely on slow cooker a lot. Um, and I do a lot of recipes for slow cooker, but I've never done a meatloaf in it. And the, you'll laugh about this, but um, every once in a while, I grew up eating meatloaf. And every once in a while, I get a real hankering for meatloaf. Sure. So I just made one last week oh. um, just because I was super yeah. um, like desirous of, of having some yeah. meatloaf I, in the middle of the winter. That's when I start thinking about this meal. And for me, it's always the same. You have to have mashed potatoes with it and your meatloaf. And then I like to do some kind of green vegetable with it, like charred broccoli or something like that. And, man, it's a great meal. It's a a really good meal. Would would there be a good uh, uh, Mexican-style dish that would be good in the slow cooker? Oh, absolutely. I will say that one of my absolute favorite ones is uh, called chicken tinga. And so the tinga part of it is made with uh, roasted tomatoes and chipotle ch- uh, chilies and a lot of caramelized onion. So all those things go together. I always do it in the slow cooker with chicken thighs because they can withstand the long cooking and not dry right. out at right, all. Right. Um, and then you warm up some tortillas and then just put that out for everybody to make tacos with. It's that's a great, great dish. That would be, and a, you can find that you can find the recipe for that on my website. Yeah, and that would be a great Super Bowl dish uh, to serve with the game. Absolutely, with the game coming yes. up, Rick. It's always great yes. to talk to you. I appreciate you joining us. Congratulations on the upcoming anniversary. Uh, you want to get you. more? It's uh, FronteraGrill dot net. Correct. Um, yes, but uh, really everything, you go to rickbayless.com. Oh, rickbayless.com. Rickbayless.com is going to okay. give you, you, you'll can navigate to everything. Perfect. Rickbayless.com. Rick Bayless, the man, joining us today. I appreciate it. And you have a great day today, Rick. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dean. Wonderful to talk to you. Likewise.